Nice. I'm so upset with you. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. Hello, I'm Andrew. It's another remote boy. Hey, we're back. We're doing it again over Zoom because we're being... Big fat nerds about it again. Uh, Here we are, back for another week, uh, giving you some spoiler-free movie review action. Possibly, potentially, asterisk, some movie news action. We might Mm. tell you what other shit we've been doing in the little while since we uh, last recorded an episode. Since we last spoke, dear listener. Let's let's make this Uh, parasocial, huh? Despite the fact that we do agree that these are enjoyable, (laughs) they are also infrequent. Yes. So you could look at them as like a little treat. They are like a little cream-filled booze-soaked cherry. Yeah. You can't, <laughs> they're little cream pies. You don't want to have them all the time. You know. You can't be lapping up cream pies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that, I think that's gone about as far as as far as it needed to go. Right. <laughs> half a sentence worth of half-hearted. <laughs> half-hearted you can't be. You joke. can't be sucking out cream pies every week. You know what I mean. <laughs> No, Andrew, what do you mean? <laughs> you don't want to be snowballing cream pies. Here we are, in any case. Back again for another week. We're going to be tackling Geneva Nerve's brand new 2021 sci-fi epic, Dune Part 1. Or Later if you're on in the, the States, episode, that's we'll... Dune. <laughs> um, that's, that's certainly what we'll be doing. We'll be doing <laughs> Dune. Later right. in the episode. It'll be like that. Uh, what's that studio title that goes like "dun dun"? Is this Netflix? It's just Netflix, um, isn't it? Like the dun dun, like that. I don't think Hello? so, man. I think Andrew? are you thinking of Law and Order? <laughs> <laughs> Might literally be thinking of Law and Order. Find <laughs> 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 a letter on whether we did do Dune or whether I accidentally watched the whole season of Law and Order. Who knows? Uh... We might have. I was, I was saying to Andrew before. Uh, uh, it's been a few weeks, so you would have thought there'd be a shit ton of news for us to catch up on. I was saying to Andrew just before, I don't know whether there is a lot of news. So what we're going to do, right, is I've prepared a few headlines, and uh, we'll decide whether we are going to just completely wipe out this news segment. Okay. We'll decide after we've done the news segment, right? So, listener, if you hear like a hard cut right now, and we go straight to beef, this, this could be the first newsless. Newsless Beef Station episode, right? Exactly. So I'm not, I'm feeling pretty good about it, but I just thought I'd, pr- I'd introduce a bit of a, a bit of pizzazz into this week's news segment. So listen, to, listen. To, either way, it'll be it'll be it'll be unused, huh? Huh? Or maybe because we're not gonna we're yeah. not gonna use it, but we're right. also not gonna news it. <laughs> so, so listen. Either un- way, we will definitely newsed. be recording. Shut up. We will definitely be recording this news segment, but if we decide that it's not up to our usual high standard, then you will not hear it. We will have completely deleted it. Yep. Yes, I did rip this idea off of Hamish and Andy, Yep. but I'm assuming that the crossover between the audience of Hamish and Andy and the audience of our podcast is not strong enough because we got a lot of hips twinks that listen to this, so we'll, and we'll see how we it's that kind of peek behind the curtain that you can expect from Beef Station. Really, there's, <laughs> there's maybe no curtain. Just, I don't think we have a curtain. Just... <laughs> Wholesale piracy of other, other <laughs> yeah. ideas, 
<laughs> not from like shit that flies under the radar, but from like one of the major, from most popular of, probably the biggest in the whole country. in Australia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, we ripped off Fuck. the idea of being fucking idiots and talking about stuff. <laughs> Join us next week for our beef station caravan of courage idea. Great. I assume yeah, that's a gonna, Hamish and Andy reference. I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna travel around. Me, Hamish, and you, Andy, are going to travel around the country in our Beef Station branded caravan of courage where we spend a whole 12 months not doing the podcast. Yeah, I had to tell you this, but one of us is going to have to change our name and it ain't going to be me. (laughs) Because I'm not becoming (laughs) Hamish. All right, I'm starting this music. Beef Bulletin. I'll admit. You, you, I'll I'll admit, I dropped it what? there. I fucked up the yeah. tempo. Oh yeah, yeah right. that's gonna Maybe. be that's gonna be loud and clear. And what previously when I've been accused of this, I've been not guilty. However, I fully <laughs> am getting ahead of the allegations. <laughs> I'm coming out. Brutal. And saying I wasn't it. even thinking about it that week. Oh. And then you just kept going out. I thought, oh, oh that's damn. right. I have a gripe with this. Were well, you falling you on what, your sword was, about the no the pitch three weeks in a row? So I felt. Oh like yeah, I, 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 I think I nailed it that week as well. So I'm. I'm Glad to know that I just do not need you at all. You're just Maybe complete I'll just dead weight. Envelope tool my part out. <laughs> <laughs> also, I've just realised, brother, we haven't done the sinking, uh, the little sinking clap thing that we usually do. So if you fuck that tempo, this 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 episode's just not syncing up. Yeah, true. Do you want to quickly do it now? In the middle of the new segment? Yeah, it doesn't matter when it is, and I can cut it out. <laughs> All right. Or maybe just to keep it on brand, while we clap, we can say news, news, news. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, right? that'll make cool. it easier right. when I'm looking at the fucking audio spikes. So we'll go one, two, three, four. One, okay. two, three, four. Yeah? Yep. Listeners, just shut up for a second. Wait, what? One, two, what? No, well, the listeners just... just clap on just, four? The, we'll do like count four and then clap four times. Okay, sure. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. I news, 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 news. There we go. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Great. News, news, news. All right, here we go. We're back. Sorry, listeners. I'm sorry that you had to see that. <laughs> Don't look up, viewers. Discover a phone number shown on screen in the film is the phone number for a sex hotline. Really? Whether it was done on purpose or as a prank is not yet clear. Uh, 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 I, during one scene, Leonardo DiCaprio's... That's not an accident, I don't think. Uh, you reckon? During one scene, DiCaprio's character, Randall Mindy, makes an appearance at a public service announcement that sees him urge Americans to call a phone number, 1-800-532-4500, if they're looking for peace of mind in the light of news that an asteroid is hurtled to- hurtling towards Earth. Uh, if you actually call that number in the film, it is a f- number for a phone sex hotline. Great. Uh, says, that's 100% on purpose. America's hardest talk line. You reckon? I thought this... I mean, I suppose were... it would have to be. That shit doesn't just happen. On... That shit doesn't just happen. No. There was a headline, especially not if it's like a like a graphic or something that comes up. Um, there was a number... I think we covered this maybe, but there was a number that appeared in Squid Game. There was actually some right. dude's fucking phone someone's, number in someone's Korea. actual number. Yeah, that's what yeah. made me think of this as like maybe maybe this could be an actual mistake. No, but there's, the that was like I think that was some mistake where his number was accidentally included in the list of numbers that you can use in movies or some shit. Like they have a like there's right. lists that you're supposed to draw them from where they don't give anyone the number because they need to use it in media. 
and they well, that's why like that. all like all Hollywood movies have that like f- numbers that begin with five five five, five, five. yeah. And it always sucks because you see it like, oh, it's the Hollywood number. Like it, it feels like in the modern day where we've got all these like amazing special effects and all this incredible shit where shit looks like it's filmed in space, they still have to resort to like phone numbers beginning with five <laughs> five five most yeah. of the time. It's fucking I, bullshit. Eh, I don't. It's, I've, it's never bugged me. <laughs> <laughs> Bugs me every single time. And we're talking right, about here. We go. here. Uh, in news that makes most people say, uh oh. Nicolas Cage wants his portrayal of Dracula to, quote, pop in a unique way. Yeah, uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, uh. He's gonna, Nicolas Cage is... This article says the, quotes thespian. The thespian will play the famous bloodsucker in the upcoming film Renfield. Uh, he... Uh, 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 which is apparently a, center, a film centering around Dracula's henchman. Did you forget which I assume Dracula's is be... name? <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. Yes. Yeah. It's in the headline of the of this story. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's all right. That's fine. So this, this, is, a, this is a... Yep, yep. It, look, let's just move past it. I'm trying to, try, I'm trying not to <laughs> I'm let trying, him identify trying me. To move past it. Uh, Nicolas Cage is apparently going to be starring opposite Nicholas Holt who is uh, the titular Renfield he's played like four vampires now hasn't he I mean he is British yeah motherfucker's getting typecast Um, as as well as Ben Schwartz and Aquafina the film is directed by the same guy who directed Lego the Lego Batman movie so (laughs) God knows how good this is going to be I think that one was pretty good that one was alright yeah. Not as good as the uh, Lego see if movie, I can get a, Yeah. Yeah. Um, so here's, here's a quote from Nicolas Cage. I want it to pop in a unique way from how we've seen it played. So I'm thinking to really focus on the movement of the character. You know, I saw Malignant and I thought what she did with those movies and even Ringu with Sadako. I want to look at what we can explore with this movement and voice. What makes it super fun is that it's a comedy. Uh, and when you get that tone right, the comedy and horror, like American Werewolf in London, it's a blast. It's got to be a bullseye. That's what I'm looking for. Something new would it bring to the character. Also, that perfect tone of comedy and horror. Uh, not okay. a funny headline. Not not a funny quote, but I was so proud of how good my impression was turning out to be that I just started to keep going with it. I think you're actually pretty good at Nicolas Cage. I think... Thanks, brother. I think you would stand out in the lineup. Um, the second statement unrelated to the first. <laughs> um, uh, so he's referencing the 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 young woman who crawls out of the television in Ring. <laughs> as Great, an, cool. As an inspiration also, for how he thinks Dracula should move. Holy fuck! Right. Now I'm excited also, like, for this movie. <laughs> I didn't realize that's what it was. And also, he said like earlier in that piece, he was talking about how like he watched like the Bela Lugosi performance and all these different other yeah, performances yeah. of Dracula by by different actors. I don't really know how much scope there is for variation in performance. Yeah. So like, I'm keen to see what he does with it. Uh, the best case scenario for me is that this turns out to be exactly like every other Dracula performance, and he's very proud of it being different somehow, and it's just not. Right, I can see that very much happening. Now, are you talking about best case performance for us, or are you talking about best case performance for fuck fuck Nicolas Cage? No, but I think it would be great if he picked some like 
incredibly unhinged approach to the character. <laughs> well, it's like, all right. It, all one I'm of those, saying is one of those ones where like he gets that. on, uh, you know, he, he's like talking to the director and he's like, I'm not going to show you before set. And like, <laughs> <laughs> he rocks up and the director's yeah, yeah, like, yeah. oh no. Yeah. I want him I'm to excited. have had like plastic surgery to put this play yeah, this yeah, role. Yeah, 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 I want yeah. him to have like learnt Romanian or some yeah, shit. Hundred percent. It'll be great. Dude. He will fucking. He'll do it. He delivers his learn he delivers the blood his magic. Pro- Fuck yeah. yeah! Fuck yeah! Yeah. All right. Uh, how's this? Here's another one. Uh, Vin Diesel uh, apparently publicly he put out like a public like TikTok or Instagram video or whatever saying, uh, to, to the Rock. Being like, come on, come on, Dwayne, come back and get, c- come back and return to the Fast and the Furious franchise. Join the family, join the family. Come back to the family. Uh, and Dwayne the Rock Johnson has now responded to this and said that there is quote no chance that he will <laughs> that he will ever return to the Fast and the Furious franchise. Uh. Um, he didn't need to. Uh, uh, the Rock did an interview with CNN recently to promote some movie he's in and he said oh yeah this past June when Vin and I actually connected not over social media I told him directly and privately that I would not be returning to the franchise (laughs) I was firm yet cordial with my words and said that I would always be supportive of the cast and always root for the franchise to be successful but that there was no chance I would return I privately spoke with my partners at the studio as well all of whom were very supportive as they understood my problem. Uh, He's like, listen, what I would prefer to do is to be an executive producer on this movie (laughs) where I do zero work and make a fucking lot of money. That's my, that's my angle. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, exactly. Understandable. (laughs) Good, good, good shit. I love, uh, I love, um, I love men that look like that. Going on social media and begging in public. <laughs> just just people worth, like, I don't know, $300 million or however much both of them are fucking yeah. worth by now. Dude, The Rock, like... So, uh, Vin, uh, Vin, like, put out, like, a very playful, cheeky video, but The Rock has taken it super fucking seriously. Like, it's... I don't know why... What the... What the... What... Dwayne The Rock Johnson's problem is with the Fast and the Furious franchise, but this quote goes on for ages. He says, <laughs> I was very surprised by Vin's recent post. Yeah, Vin's like... recent public post <laughs> was an example of his manipulation. I didn't like that he brought his children up in the post. I didn't like that he brought up Paul Walker's death in the post. Leave Ooh. them out of it. We spoke months ago about this and came to a very clear understanding. My goal all along was to end my amazing journey with this incredible Fast and Furious franchise with gratitude and grace. It's unfortunate that this public dialogue has muddied the waters. Good shit. I don't know what the fuck uh, this franchise did to him, but he's like absolutely not happy about being called out. He's like, I told you in confidence that you would have to, that I would rather be murdered, that you would have to take me prisoner and force me to do another one of these movies. Is that what you're saying, Vin? Are you saying that you want to, you want to string me up by my testicles? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you just fucking kill me, Vin? Why don't you just fucking kill me? That's really funny. Fuck God. All right. Uh, I got one that last reads one, like, another... have you read like any public statements by Adam McKay and Will Ferrell on like them not working together again? It's like very cold and they're... I don't remember, but it's a very similar thing. Right? Yeah, uh, this reads like that. But if Will was like, 
Yeah. He like tweeted at Adam McKay, hey, do you want to do another movie? And Adam McKay was like, uh, my lawyers have recommended that I put out a statement about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crazy. Yeah, fuck. Oh god. Well, I don't care about any of them. Yeah, good shit. The next story I have requires you to know who Emma Roberts is. I know who Emma Roberts is. Great. I don't. But as long as you do, <laughs> we're all Great. good. Well, listeners, you can just take a couple of seconds to Google Emma Roberts, okay? So go ahead. Great. Cool. Go ahead. We'll wait. You, yep, I reckon you've probably got a tab up now. You sort of you sort of typing it in. Okay, yep, you got her, right? Cool. Yeah, she's done. All right, done some now, American now we all know. All right, we all know who Emma Roberts is now. Yep. Here's the story. All right. Yep. So uh, I don't know if you're familiar, Andrew, but uh, Harry Potter uh, is a story written by no one, uh, and they made movies <laughs> of it. Written by and those movies no came exists. out. Well, it's weird that there's no author for the for those books. Yep. Uh, uh, and these uh, these books are made into movies, and those movies are now 20 years old. Yes. Uh, now another thing I'm not sure if you're familiar with is the television channel Home Box Office I in the United States of America. I have. They've done a 20th. Great. They've done a 20th anniversary special of the Harry Potter movies and it's like a reunion thing where they do like a bit of a behind the scenes of the Harry Potter movies and Emma Rob, uh, fuck, Emma Watson. Uh, so that's how easy it is. <laughs> Emma Watson and Daniel Radcliffe and Rupert Grint uh, all get back on screen and have a, like a reunion kind of thing. Yeah. Whatever. Fine. Uh, so the headline here is that the, it, as part of this like retrospective, they had like childhood photos of... Uh, Emma, Rupert, and Daniel as kids. But the f- one of the photos that they showed of Emma Watson as a kid was actually a photo of Emma Roberts as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> really good that, stuff. Like, made, <laughs> that, like, made it into the final edit. That is, that's pretty wild. That's pretty wild. Good shit. Yeah, that's all I've... Uh, that's that's all I've got, uh, and and apparently that's not not in the. I mean, with streaming these days, apparently two days later they corrected it, and the version that you can stream now has been fixed, right. uh, and that childhood photo's in there. But that's cowardice in my book. It is. You can't yeah. just you, you got to leave that shit in forever. Yeah, that's the same as updating the the textures on the cats movie. You know what I mean? It's like you don't get a second do fucking bite of the cherry. Yeah, they patched it. <laughs> Oh, fuck that. You don't get to patch cats. Nah, they cats patched is out forever. Uh, old mate's wedding patch ring cats, and stuff. Patch cats, incidentally, was yeah. my new wave band. Great. You're welcome. Uh, that's all I've got uh, about the Harry Potter thing. There was another clip I saw online where it's like a little 10-second clip where uh, Emma Watson... Uh, is talking to Rupert Grint and she's saying like, yeah, yeah. And like, we grew up together basically. So obviously that moment where we had to kiss in the seventh movie was one of the most horrifying things we've ever had to do. And Rupert looks so crestfallen. He goes like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) She's probably making fun of him. She's probably making fun of him. I'm sure that they've talked about it. Yeah. Um, so sick. I know who uh, Emma Roberts is because um, I walked into my living room at one point and my partner, who has abysmal taste in films, was watching a Netflix film called Holiday. 
which I sat through Cute. five to ten minutes of, and it was actually intolerable. Just <laughs> completely soulless, artificial intelligence, script-generated, uh, horrible, 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 horrible shit. So yeah, there you go. That's how I know who she is, and um, all that is wild. And also, she's American, career. and the photo that they accidentally put in the special is a photo of Emma Roberts as a kid wearing the fucking Mickey Mouse Club ears. Like, did they not set off alarm bells that like this British child is wearing the Mickey Mouse Club ears? Like, <laughs> so I just don't Some... even. Surely you'd have to get the licensing for that photo. They yeah. can't just go on Google Images and search up like Emma. Like that's what I was just, thinking. Like, Someone on the Getty like, is probably the like even mislabeled the who the child was or some shit. You know, like strange, strange. So shit. good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, and I, I, I got, I got one last one, and I'm not sure if we already knew this already, but Guillermo del Toro is doing this live action Pinocchio movie. Ron Perlman is in it. He's playing Pinocchio. Uh, <laughs> that would be sick. He gets fed six times a day. He's got a thing for cats. He'll be his nanny, his keeper, his best friend. He never goes out unsupervised. Who? I hate those comic books. They never get the eyes right. He's playing Mangia Fuoco, I think. Excuse me? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't that read means it. eat it's the a, fuck. It's an Italian name. <laughs> 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 the point is, apparently, uh, apparently, this version of Pinocchio is going to take place uh, in Mussolini's Italy. Yeah, it's like with Pinocchio like a, like a fascist yeah. backdrop. Yeah, great, good shit. And, the conceit um, of the film was that Pinocchio is the perfect soldier because he's not human, so he doesn't ever question orders. He doesn't have fears. He's invulnerable. He's all the things the perfect soldier needs to oh be. Oh God! It's like oh Christ! <laughs> it's like Captain America, but Pinocchio fascism. Oh, this is very <laughs> weird. Yeah, bro. All right. yeah, how sick is see. that? <laughs> I'm all that in. Yeah, all that in. Very interesting. Great. That okay. Interesting. Uh, that's. That, I think that's all I got for the news. I was saying before, I wanted to do, because we we keep being, the last couple of years, because of COVID, we, we, we've been like late with our best of the year episodes. And this mm. year, I think there's been a whole stack of 2021 uh, best of best films of the year that I've really wanted to see that I just haven't been able to see, whether it's because of COVID or for release dates in Australia or whatever. So Full-time that's not what this week's episode is going to Yeah. <laughs> that's not what this week's episode is going to be. But I thought like, oh, it'd be nice to do a roundup of like, um, Yee-haw. top, top grossing films of 2021. Mm. But let me tell you, brother, top grossing films of 2021 is literally like James Bond, Spider-Man yep. and eight other Marvel movies. Yep. It and that's how it's going to be. That's how it's going to be from now on. <laughs> Literally, yeah, yeah. It fucking sucks. Yep. God damn. Like, and if you go and if you go worldwide, the only variances that you get is that you get like four Chinese. Yeah, movies. yeah. I was about to say, the list starts to be the same movies from China. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah God damn. It was literally like Detective Bill Three. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Good yeah. shit. In fact, just just for the sake of it, I will read through the top ten grossing films of the year. Okay, and I will uh, Google synopses of the Chinese films. 
Brilliant. So this is so this is the um oh, okay, great. So you, do, do you want sorry, do you want the domestic one that just has Marvel shit or do you want the Chinese ones as well? Let's go international. Okay. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. All right, go. Cool. Here we go. Okay. Um <laughs> number 10, Eternals okay. with a worldwide gross of 400 million dollars. Number nine, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings with $432 million. Shout out to the couple of friends I know that worked on that. Fuck yeah. Number hope eight, you, Godzilla vs. Kong. A, hope you guys got paid in a percentage. <laughs> I hope you guys got your cut of that half a billion dollars. Yeah, and number Christ. eight was Godzilla vs. Kong with $470 million. And I will say, possibly the only film that deserves to be on this list. Mm. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, I could probably back that. Uh, number seven, People Venom Let There Be car- me, Carnage. Spider-Man, me. Shut up. <laughs> First, but, uh, Donald Trump walked into the room for a second there. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah, Venom Let There Be Carnage cracked half half a bill. Okay, nice. Number yep. six, our first Chinese film of the list. With it, This jumps up from $500 million to $700 million. So this is $200 million God more damn. than the previous yep, one. Great. The Detective Chinatown 3. <laughs> Great. Detective <laughs> Chinatown. Okay, so the first result is Detective Chinatown 2. But Brilliant. let's have a look. Detective about, Chinatown Andrew? 3. A Chinese comedy mystery buddy film written and directed by Chen Xiang, starring Wang Baoqiang and Liu Horan. It's a sequel to Detective Chinatown 2 and it's the third installment Great. in the Detective Chinatown series. Like, yeah, fucker, I know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Great. We got, right, a, we we got go. a plot in there? Yeah, we do. After the events in Bangkok and New York... Yeah. Okay, well, don't bother Great. to explain that because I've definitely seen the first two. Tang Rang and <laughs> Ching Fen are invited to Tokyo to investigate... I'm familiar with Detectives Chinatown. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's not in uh, China, but all right. Invited to Tokyo <laughs> to investigate another crime that has occurred there, leading to a battle between the strongest detectives in Asia. All right, I might have to watch this. <laughs> this is sick. <laughs> this is sick. awesome. The film starts with Tang and Chin on a plane eating junk food, and Tang needs to use the bathroom. Later, he was escorted to meet the suspect... M- suspected... What? Later, he was escorted to meet the suspected murder of the Don who stated not guilty. Oh, this is written by You're someone. right. I think this is an ESL <laughs> writer. <laughs> Following examination of the body, Tang found a needle prick in the victim's body. Oh, Shout-outs. Shout-outs to a right. small man. Which was not expected or reported in the autopsy report. Also, he used a visual stimulizer of the broken glasses and found the missing glass from the murdered Don's car. Tang convinces the judge that Anna had committed them. These are just characters that we have no idea about. That Anna had committed the murder by showing the murder weapon and examining the CCTV footages. Did you spoil Detective Chinatown 3? (laughs) Anna was the daughter of the suspected murderer who left her and her mother in their worst times. Driven by revenge of their mother's sufferings and death, Anna planned to make her father suffer by making him suspect of the murder she had committed. The film ends with all the detectives from the investigation app united against Q, who turned out to be a group of individuals with high IQ planning to destroy the established systems of the world. (laughs) How much did you say this movie made? (laughs) <laughs> Seven hundred million dollars. Million dollars. 
<laughs> Shit be hitting different f- in China. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, <laughs> the strongest. I like the strongest. That sounds like Mr. Bean or some artist, shit. The strongest. It Good starts shit. off with some dude who needs to take a shit on an airplane. <laughs> What's Wait till you hear number on? three, man. Number num- you'll like number three. Okay, right. here we go. Uh, number five uh, is Fast and the Furious Nine. Sure, okay. With seven hundred and twenty-five million. Great. Uh, number four, James Bond, seven hundred and seventy-five million worldwide. Number three, next Chinese film on the list, Hi Mum. Hi Mum. Okay, it's yeah. a twenty twenty-one film, as we already Great. suspected. Great. Again, a comedy. No. I love uh, comedies. Chinese comedy film written and directed by a group of people a we whole don't bunch know. Of people. Uh, the film's themes include familial love, maternal love, and filial piety, uh, which is what? a virtue of respect for one's parents, elders, and ancestors, originating from Chinese, Buddhist, and Taoist ethics. What's the difference between familial love and maternal love? <laughs> uh. I guess one's your entire family, but one just relates to your mum. That's a special kind of mum love. You know what I mean? After mom her love. mother, Lee Huan Ying, is fatally injured in a car accident in 2001, driving it into the Twin Towers, grief-stricken Jiao Xiaolang finds herself <laughs> transported back in time to the year 1981, where she becomes her mother's close friend. Jia oh. Xiaolang feels that she has not been a good enough daughter in the present, so back in 1981, she does all she can to make Li Huanying happy, including setting her up with the factory manager's son, Shen Guanling, in the hope of giving her mother a better husband, a better daughter, and a better life than she had first time around. All right. That's, that's crazy. A that's a cool fucking plot. That's a really cool that's idea. That's actually sick. We, the I first one sounds ridiculous, but this one actually sounds fucking pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah, a comedy yeah. film, so you know it'd be interesting to see what, like, a I guess a mainstream <laughs> Chinese sense of humor is like. Yeah, no, I think I would actually sincerely be keen to see that. That, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, possible. we should. Yeah, maybe but we I'm should check ca- that out. Kind of keen. Okay. All right. Interesting. Uh, all right. So, and uh, listeners, one on just again is... as a quick reminder, that cute little film made eight hundred and fifty million U.S. dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, next one on the list is the second top-grossing film worldwide of the year. Battle, it's, and it's our last Chinese film of the of the list. The Battle at Lake Changjin made more than $900 million. Okay. It's a... Yeah, right. I can see here already while you're pulling it up, it's a 2021 Chinese war film co-directed by a ton of people, written and produced by a ton of people. It's apparently the most expensive film ever produced in China to date with a budget of $200 Shit. million. Dollars. The film That's story nuts. was commissioned by the publicity department of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh-oh. Great. Excellent. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming that's true for all of these films, right? Uh, the film depicts the story of Chinese soldiers forcing American troops to withdraw despite great odds in a fictionalized retelling of the Battle of the Chosin River during the Korean War. Oh, this movie is going to be really fucking racist. Hell yeah. yeah. Right up my alley. <laughs> I'm keen to I'm keen to see it. No, I don't know. Maybe not. But I'm keen to see that fucking time travel one. Yeah. Uh, and the top the top grossing film of the year, and this is one that I am actually surprised about, uh, is Spider Man No Way Home. Made so that right. previous one, that Chinese one, that war one, made nine hundred million dollars. Spider Man No Way Home, one billion three hundred and eighty six million dollars. Shit. 
That's like almost another half a billion dollars more is the jump up between two and one. Uh, yeah, Crazy. It, uh, it works. And actually, actually, Spider-Man No Way Home has been getting reasonably good reception. I mean, yeah. I suppose all the Marvel movies, like no one hates these Marvel movies, but like no. it's been getting reasonably good reviews. So, you know, there you go. That's all I got for the news, brother. Uh, so, just, you know. A couple of these, uh, a couple of these films beat out um, the GDP of Vanuatu and Samoa, <laughs> Dominica, Tonga. That's sick. Micronesia, the Marshall Islands, etc. You know, about about That's sick. about twenty countries that they made more money than this year. That's which is sick. really cool. Well, <laughs> Micronesia should have made uh, Spider-Man: No Way Home. Right? True. What have they um, fucking got to be? They're stupid about? for not thinking of that. Yeah. If Micronesia <laughs> had just made a Chinese propaganda war film, then they wouldn't <laughs> yeah. be sitting in this mess. Yeah. Uh, right. Now, now that we're at the end of the news segment, Andrew, we have to make the decision: Is that segment worth keeping, or do we delete it for? Maybe we should let the listeners decide. What do you reckon? <laughs> Fuck yeah. If we get three emails, we will go back and delete, and delete that, that news segment. If three people tell us to delete the news, I'll edit it out. Fuck it. Fuck it. If you PayPal me $50, <laughs> I'll put 15 seconds of whatever audio you want in there. Yeah, actually. You want 15 yeah. seconds promoting your local business? I'll pop that in there. You want 15 you seconds of two girls, one cameo. cup? It's in. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah. Is that a good idea? Just like $50 and you can nominate any one minute segment in our podcast. That's literally to be replaced an by ad. any other one minute segment of audio. You're talking no, no, about. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You're talking the, about the, replacing the, podcast goes the audio. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The podcast goes up with no ads and you replace <laughs> a minute of audio with a minute of your own. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. It's like. Yeah. It's like that website. Did you ever see that website that was like the million dollar website? And it was this guy that just put up like a like a blank a blank page that was uh, a thousand pixels by a thousand pixels. So a million pixels altogether. And you could buy a pixel for a dollar yeah. and put whatever you want on that one pixel. And so companies would buy like a hundred by a hundred squares for like 10 grand and put yep. their little logo on that there. Logo, and it was yeah. this like birth of the internet little viral sensation thing that was a thing for like a like a year or two. Hmm. Did you hear about that? Now? I, I, I do remember hearing about it. But uh Well yeah. it's a bit like that, but with a podcast. <laughs> and also there's not a million of them. There's one and it doesn't exist yet. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Oh this what's podcast the, is going for way longer than a million seconds. What's the million dollar sure. homepage up to now, huh? Oh, well, and it. you can, no, it's done. You can click the sections, and it will take Takes you to whatever they want. To whatever right, they right. are. So yeah. that's interesting. God, this this is, this is a. Oh yeah, it's a fucking mess, brother. There is <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of stuff, and I'm assuming that most of this does not then link to anything. Anything that's still up or anything. There's a lot of well, like uh, company. There's like lots of company logos and shit. <laughs> Yeah, but it's also really dodgy shit. Like, um, there's like this little strip that says Xbox, and then you mouse over it, and it's get a free <laughs> Xbox 360 by completing surveys. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Like, yeah, I'm but like, the sure. funniest bit is, dude did like zero effort and made a million dollars, and all he has to do is just pay hosting for fucking. Oh, yeah. Even it's if you pay hosting for 50 years, that can't be that bad. No one's a going to that website. Idea. Yeah. Yep. 
Anyway, that might be our clever little... This is the second ripped-off idea of the pod. We're getting pretty good at this. That's We're true, yeah. We're fucking internet sharks. Yeah. We're content creators now. <laughs> All right. Uh, would you like to... So, no, was made well, by listener, please, I'm begging you, please don't make us delete that episode. <laughs> if only because editing this is going to be a nightmare as it is, what with having to cut in three different fucking Chinese trailers and shit. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> What would no, be the point, brother, in. of cutting in Chinese <laughs> trailer audio? <laughs> to cut in 10 trailers worth of audio yeah. just for that little list. Just Great. a trailer for eight different Marvel movies. Just only cutting in the Chinese ones. Like, I didn't think people would know what they were. Great. Well, now they still don't know what they are. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's move on to uh, fucking business or pleasure. Let's. Business. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Business. Across the segment where every week we keep you up to date on the movies and TV shows and other shit that we've been watching for our own gosh darn entertainment. Yeah. So the comings and goings th- of light and sound into our eyes. That's right. So often we will be watching shit uh, for the podcast. I say often, very seldom we will be <laughs> watching shit for the podcast. Uh, but then perhaps more frequently than that, we'll be watching shit that we want to watch. Just, just for the sake of watching, that's just for us, you know, yeah, one for just you, for one us. for me, and we're gonna—that's right, one for you, several probably, for us, probably, probably more than one for me, in a ratio. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I've watched a whole bunch of shit because it's been about a month since we've recorded an episode. So, great. I've got a few things to talk about. I think that we, we, in, in the interest of not boring the listeners and turning this into a hostage situation, maybe <laughs> if you have a whole bunch you want to list off and just give a quick thumbs up, thumbs down type thing, and then we'll do a, an in-depth discussion if you want on. Maybe a couple. Sure. Cool. I First one don't I've got. have that much, so you oh, just just great. blast out. Did you want? I don't. Do you want to do a don't look up as an episode later, or do we want to just cover it here? Uh, I, uh, I don't know. I don't know. And part of my apprehension there is I still don't know how I feel about that movie. <laughs> like, All right. Well, I'm happy to go in on it. For, I, okay. I, I watched Don't Look Up. Yeah, uh, which Adam is the new movie film. by Adam McKay. Yeah, so he's the same guy that did the big short and that uh, movie about Dick Cheney called Vice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't really love it. I was kind of really looking forward to another uh, in-depth, cynical uh, take on climate change, which is, climate change is the theme that was tackled on Don't Look Up. Um, and I, I had sort of expected it to be, without wanting to send to pretentious, kind of like highbrow and smart. Mm. Uh, like The Big Short. Maybe that's because I don't understand economic policy, so The Big Short didn't feel dumb to me. But Don't Look Up felt really fucking dumb to me. It felt like uh, fucking bottom of the pile, easy, brainless satire for people that just do not understand global warming, climate change shit at all. 
I know that's brutal, and I know the people out there listen to this liked it. I think I liked it as like a dumb comedy, but I was really disappointed by it in terms of its approach to satire. I don't think that anything it really did in the film was clever. Uh, I think that like most of the satire that happened in the film was like first draft stuff where, or it was just like the first idea that you would have about like, oh, what would a fucking right-wing politician say to ignore climate change? What would they say? Like there's literally a scene where they're doing like thoughts and prayers and Jonah Hill's like politician character goes like, oh, can we have a prayer for stuff, for sick watches and apartments and clothes and stuff? I'm like, well, it's not... It's not funny, man. Like, that's I thought, just, yeah, I, I love. It's Jonah just like Hill. the least clever. I thought his character was criticism. the least funny shit. And um, talking to a couple of people uh, who I wouldn't normally talk to 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 about movies, um, not actively, just wouldn't normally movies wouldn't come up. Um, they fucking yeah. loved Jonah Hill's character. Favorite part of the film. <laughs> so I, I actually also liked Jonah Hill's character. Okay. I didn't like the writing, but I, I thought, thought his performance was, was really funny. Part. Well, yeah, I think that's yeah. the thing. I think he was doing a really good job, but the the writing for me was just like a little bit. That was when I was cringing. Often Jonah Hill was on screen. Yeah, I just I was just looking forward to something smart, and this maybe this just wasn't for me. I was talking about this with some friends off air. Uh, just the idea that like. I'm sure that economists watching The Big Short were like, yeah, this is the stupidest fucking movie. Yeah, obviously, this is like, yeah, you know what I mean? But maybe it's just that that's an inherently more dense, inaccessible topic for most people. But for this, I feel like most people that I talk to on a daily basis are on board with the sort of like, we have to pay attention to climate change philosophy that this film is spruiking. And so when this film is like, uh, clowning on people for ignoring climate change but being like oh imagine if like an asteroid was like right up there in the sky where you could see it and people are saying don't look up don't look up don't look up then imagine that like that's what you guys are like when you ignore climate change I just watched the whole time being like yeah bro yeah cool uh, tell me this isn't really happening I hear there's uh, something you don't like the looks of we discovered a very large comet oh good for you it's headed directly towards earth this comet is what we call a planet killer. At this exact moment, I say we sit tight and assess. Sit tight and assess? Sit tight. And then assess. The sit tight part comes first, and you got to digest it. That's the assessment period. <laughs> yeah, I basically saw someone, um, one review that kind of summed up, not necessarily how I felt about it, but a lot of the criticism that I've seen leveled at this film, which is basically that... Um, they said, I've, I've never seen someone or I've never seen a film where I agreed with the filmmaker so strongly yet hated the way that they told me the information so much. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's a sort of large or maybe not majority, but a, but a significant proportion of, of modern viewing audiences that fucking hate Adam McKay. They find him very condescending and uh, they really don't enjoy the way that he portrays his messages in his films, even if they agree with the messages. Um, I've never which had is tough. that. I, 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 I didn't really have, I didn't really feel condescended to in this. I just felt yeah. like the whole point of the film was that we have these smart scientists that are saying we have to be smart and take this issue seriously. 
uh, and then the whole film was not being smart in the way it presented the subject matter at all. Like, right. I just thought from that perspective, it wasn't didn't make any sense. And also, I mean, not to get too into the weeds with it, but like the actual logical arguments made by Leonardo DiCaprio's character and the 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 clash between his side and then the side represented by Meryl Streep and the politicians didn't make any logical sense. What like there mean? was a bit where Meryl Streep's president character, and it's been a few weeks since I've seen it, Meryl Streep's president character was like, yes, I agree with you that this is happening and I can see that you're concerned, but I'm not concerned and I'm going to wait and deal with this issue. And then Leonardo DiCaprio's response was, they don't believe this is happening and we have to prove that it's happening. No one believes this is happening. Everyone, make these politicians like, believe me. And, it, mm. it, and they sort of like jumped several several points of several logical points down this track where it's like I, I don't believe that what Leonardo DiCaprio's character was getting upset about where he was saying no one believes him that's not what was happening like he was saying sure. like none of these politicians believe me and it was like no no they believe you they just don't care <laughs> right right yeah I, I didn't have that problem but um but I can kind of understand. You got to make an inference there about like, oh, I guess they meant that, or they were assuming that they didn't trust them or something. So there's something that's unspoken going on there, I guess. But um, yeah, I really didn't know how to feel about it. I didn't hate it, um, and I didn't find it. It's it's my least favorite Adam McKay film, but I like all of his stuff. Yeah. I think so. I still had like probably a net positive experience with it. I thought that so I had a really interesting. Um, friend of the show laura uh has we've had like a series of conversations about adam mckay because she he really rubs her the wrong way and um and i i'm kind of really trying to like we've spent a lot of time trying to figure out like why we have like quite similar tastes in films a lot of the time and trying to figure out like why does what bugs her about these films not bug me basically and um Essentially, one really interesting kind of discovery that we made about um, the way that we differently watch these films is that I almost view Adam McKay as a documentarian when he's doing his <laughs> Vice stuff and and Big Short type shit. Um, yeah. A- and I really like the way he makes documentaries because I think that that dramatization works really well. I think that the real world is more absurd than any fiction that you would need to come up with. And Maybe that I was think, my problem with it, yeah. Right, so I, I think when he's doing satire of... So I'm way more excited for his next film, which is about um, Elizabeth Holmes and, and Theranos. But when it came to this one, I, I sort of felt like he 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 unabashedly pushed it to the point of caricature a lot of the time. And I, I wasn't... <laughs> I wasn't madly keen it's on that. It's hard to relate to it. Yeah, but I sort of couldn't really hold it against against it too much because it was like I know you're being caricaturic, but like that literally would be what happened. And I thought something that was interesting was that this was written before COVID. The script was finished, I think, before COVID. Yeah. But a lot of the stuff that they that he kind of portrays in the film that he meant to relate to how a climate change response would be handled or has been handled yeah. was actually much more apparent in the world's response and global leaders' responses to coronavirus than it was to any environmental response that I've ever seen. May- so I feel like maybe of- it suffered a little bit from its release timing because 
um, people were like, yeah, f- fucking, I've been watching this on the TV for two years now. I really don't need like, you to like, tell yeah, obvi- me that it's going on. Obviously, this is what would happen. Yeah. Right. Maybe and, that's part of what I didn't like it, about it. Right. But when he wrote it, he, he hadn't witnessed that stuff yet. It's just that it played yeah. out how he thought it would play out, I think. Well, and, I suppose not like all of it, but I think that's a very, part of it. Yeah, I suppose maybe it's just that it's been playing out on a very long time scale with global warming stuff, whereas the coronavirus has been the hot bud news topic for like two years. Maybe that's part of what I didn't like about it was just the idea that like, uh, yeah, it was everything was so obvious and so dry and so uh, broad strokes, just like, well, yeah, what you're saying is what literally did happen with no further insight and no further commentary, and yep. no clever metaphor or whatever. It was literally like, a catastrophe is going to destroy the planet, and all the politicians are ignoring it for financial reasons. Yeah, which like, yeah, would that's happen, not, that's not f- and is happening. It's not funny, it's not clever, that right. is happening. That has right. happened, yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, so. My that, main criticism of it, and I know that like let's let's move on because we're not doing it. We're not yeah. fully doing it. But um, my main criticism of it was that for me the the tone. So it was the most on the nose comedy that's been in an Adam McKay film. I think. I think Vice and Big Short are much more like subtle in their comedy. I know that it's well, people will probably scoff at me calling Adam McKay subtle, but I think I think actually there's a lot of really good comedy in in, in Vice and Big Short, and I think for me. The if you look at the story that happens in this film, without going yeah. too much into the details of it, like there's a lot of tragedy in this story, and especially when you get to the end of the film, well, and inherently, I feel yeah. like the tone of the film completely mismatched the story that happens because I think it would have served itself much better if it had been much more of that scathing, sarcastic, not uh, like. And I know people said it felt like an SNL sketch, and it didn't always, but sometimes it did felt feel that kind of like uh, explicitly sketch like comedy. Well, and it felt uh, a bit defeatist, and it kind of felt a bit like a even like just a lecture, I, I mean almost. like ca- cartoonish, like um, really caricature. Well, this, this is what I was going to mention. So people think about Adam McKay at the moment for Vice and The Big Short, yep. but Adam McKay has directed heaps of other movies. Including Anchorman, Anchorman Two, Step Brothers, yeah, yep. the other guys, Talladega Nights. So like yep. before, he was doing these like smart documentary style political satire type things. He's done shit shitloads of dumb comedies, and I got way more vibes from this as being one of those dumb comedies. Like this yeah. felt so much more, so much closer to me as like a like a Step Brothers or an Anchorman than it did a Big Short or a Vice. I mean, I don't. I like Anchorman. Anchorman's a funny movie, but yeah, it's I, I not even what I was think going into comedy, this wanting. I think the comedy in his early films is like much funnier than the comedy in this. Like I said, I think this is my yeah. least favorite Adam McKay. I still don't think it's bad, but I just feel like he he could have taken like Vice has quite a self serious tone at times, and I think it really benefits yeah. from that. And I think this film needed to have needed to take itself more seriously a lot of the time. And I know that he's probably commenting that like media doesn't take itself seriously even when it's handling uh very serious issues. Serious yeah. issues, but like okay, bro, but you need to draw the line somewhere so that it's a palatable product and and I think yeah. it suffered from its own indecision around that kind of thing at, at points. So net positive still a thumbs up from me, but um but but felt weird to watch and uh 
and I'm much more excited for his next film than than this one. Um, yeah, yeah I feel like I'm a bit colder on it, but yeah, whatever. That's, Timothy that, Chalamet is the funniest thing in the whole film, and I think he is not. Acting. He was very funny in it. I don't think he's acting <laughs> at all. The I shit think... where he's like, "I fucking love potato tots," or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Ah, that's you. You know that girl from Live TV said we're all gonna die. Called Yogo. He's gonna freak out. We say hi to my friend real quick. Dude, he's obsessed with you. We love you. That picture of you on my board. That picture on his fucking board. Hey, you're a stone cold legend. Yo, Yogo. Yo, shut the, yo, shut the fuck up. Check out, check out where we're Fingerling potatoes? Yeah, oh, I fucking love fingerling potatoes. Dr. Mindy, can I be vulnerable in your car? <laughs> <laughs> so fucking funny, dude. I literally think he He's didn't great. act a second on screen. I think he was just reading the lines. That's so fucking funny. Um, uh, some other, yeah. other quick things I watched over the break. Uh, I watched Castaway for the first time and really liked it. Oh, Way wow, more intense... Time. Yeah, yeah, first time. Way more intense uh, and uh, sort of emotionally dramatic than I was expecting yeah, it's from torturous. a Tom Hanks film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I watched The French Dispatch. I'm keen to talk about I think that's probably going to be the next episode we do, maybe. Who knows? Uh, coming up in the episode, I really like The French Dispatch. That's the new Wes Anderson movie. Uh, and I watched Taxi Driver, which I think you talked about a little while ago. Yeah, on the well, okay, I fucking yeah. loved that movie. That's a great movie. It was movie. sick. A really slow, vibey kind of film that perfectly captures this mood and just holds that tone for the whole, the whole fucking three hours or whatever. It's yeah, you can see movie. you can see where Scorsese went to from it, but it's really interesting that it feels very prototypical of his. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, that's that's probably all, that's probably all I've got for without with without sort of turning turning this. Without making this a bit long, you know, the so the that's, whole that's all I got. Um, the only yeah. other one that I had was that I also just watched the last Matrix movie, uh, the the Matrix Resurrections. Yeah. Thomas, you seem particularly triggered right now. Can you tell me what happened? I've had dreams that weren't just dreams. If you want the truth, Neo, you're going to have to fly me. And you know you the only thing that matters to you is still here. I know it's why you're still fighting and why you will never give up. You don't know me. No? Back to where it all started. Back to the Matrix.
fuck? How was it? I liked it, but it's very strange to talk about because... What do you um, mean? So, I expected a cynical cash grab and it is the exact opposite of that. And while I didn't enjoy all of it, it's almost completely separate to the Matrix trilogy. And I mean, what do you mean separate... it's the opposite of a cynical cash grab? Like it's because that, that makes me sound like you're saying it's actually good, and there's an actual like. I think it is actually it good, and there is a strong artistic vision behind it. Um, right. There's. It's very self-referential to the point where it, like, I can't describe how how meta it gets. It <laughs> it, it acknowledges the in the film they acknowledge the existence of the Matrix trilogy. They refer to it as the a moves. series of video games. But yes, <laughs> they literally talk about them, and right. um, and yeah, it, uh, the the film starts off with Neo believing that the, and it's unclear if this is real or not, but believing that the first three Matrix films are a video game that he made, so he is psychotic what? and struggles to differentiate reality from his imagination. And and, right. and so, it, go- it goes from there. So I, I think so. Are it- Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss the main characters in the movie that have heaps of screen time? Yes, that's sick. Because we yes. didn't even know whether they were going to be like just cameos or whatever. No, that's they are mostly main them for the whole characters. Movie. Yes, that's um, sick. It's an incredibly ambitious sequel, and I think the best point of comparison that I can make. Is and I, I actually I listened to the Red Letter Media review um, on, on on this and I think they I really love that they have such a strong like lexicon of films to draw from because um, lots of people have made this comparison but this is where I first heard it it's like uh, do you know the progression from Gremlins to Gremlins two yeah you've talked right. about it before on the podcast right so long story short uh, Joe Dante made Gremlins and then um, the studio was like we're making another Gremlins movie and he's like. I please don't make me make another Gremlins movie. And they were like, it's happening with or without you. And and he was like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll do it. If you give me yeah. full creative control, no say on the script, like you don't get any say on the script. Uh, I get final I cut. Final cut and all that. Everything. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, it doesn't could- matter. Just take it and run. And he made yeah. this like self satirical, I was forced to make another Gremlins movie gremlins movie where it's completely aware of itself and and i think that this is the closest point of reference to to the matrix resurrections like so were they forced to make another matrix movie at one point in this film the ceo of the video game company says our parent company warner brothers is making a sequel to the matrix trilogy and then (laughs) and keanu says what and and the ceo says and they said they're going to do it with or without us. And they made it clear that they're going right. to cut our contract if we don't do it. They say so that just, in the movie. So th- that's that's sick. So and, they've and just like taken like an actual Lana conversation. Wachowski. Yes, literally. That Lana she, Wachowski had with fucking Warner Brothers. Yes. And just been like, I'm going to make this a scene in the movie. Yes. So that's what it sick. is not so is the first Matrix movie again. And I don't want to spoil it any more than that. Um, it, it's yeah. it's like I wouldn't even I don't even want to say it's better or worse than any of the Matrix movies because it's so not going for the same thing that uh, right. 
it just don't even and i think people are going to people are going to see it and and judge it on its face value and that's not the right way to judge this film it's very aware of itself when it, it lana wachowski is a good director when she's making choices that make you feel uncomfortable or you don't like characters or you find them annoying she's making them annoying or uncomfortable on purpose she's referencing right. things in the real world it's very aware of itself so the first hour of the movie maybe can feel where you're like, what the fuck are you doing? And it's meant to feel like that because, right. because that's what Neo is experiencing at that point in time. And probably well, also I very referential for what Lana Wachowski has experienced. So yeah. there's <laughs> fucking insufferable makes... guys that work at the video game right. company and they speak that's, in ways that's where you're such like, a... This is so fucking cringeworthy. And she's meant, this sounds like such a baller move on yeah. her part. And, and I've listened to so I've listened to the. It probably explains uh, why the other Wachowski dropped out of the movie. Yeah, potentially. I think that um, probably like, well, you're, you're all over it. I don't want to have to get involved. I'm glad one of us is fucking saving this for being an absolute tire fire. Lily said some shit about like I need to go and learn more about myself as an artist. So it's I don't know if it's clear that like she she was like I'm not fucking doing another one, and if you want to, whatever. But uh, um, but yeah, I think so. If you listen to and uh, I, I don't know if we'll do a full episode on this, I, I don't know if it's worth it. So I'll I'll, I'll spend a, a tiny little bit more time talking about it now. Um, yeah, I think that when the so having listened to a podcast with Roger Deakins with the cinematographer from the first three films, uh, Bill Pope, um, when he was talking about the experience that they had on the first film, because he was very tired with the second two, but the first film, yeah, 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 he basically described the Wachowskis as like they were playing with house money because they never thought that they would get as much money as they did. They never thought that they would get sign off on their script. So they basically made the first Matrix movie as if it was the last movie they were ever going to make, and yeah, um, and so they, they took, took all these every risks. risk. And- and and yeah. they just did it however they want. They were speaking, they were saying no to studio executives. Like no one was like, cause they didn't know you weren't supposed to talk to them like that. And so they were just talking to them in ways that they had never been spoken to. They were, I guess, asserting themselves in ways that people aren't used to asserting themselves in Hollywood. And, and because of that, it's like, I think the first matrix movie is fucking genius. Like I really think it, yeah, it's uh, great. not a big brain take, but like, I, I think it's amazing. And I think, I, I don't think also, that this Lana new one Chasky, suffers from that a bit. I I don't think it suffers from it. I think it's the same. It's just that Lana Wachowski is in a very different stage in her life, and, and right. so I think that I think she's done a similar thing where she's like, I've been put in this position where maybe rather than having an opportunity, she's she she could tell that it was like, well, someone's going to make this. Matrix movie, and you can either watch your beloved intellectual property be run into the ground by some cynical director for hire that's going to try and remake the first film nearly shot for shot. It's going to be tired. Yeah. It's going to be fucking uh, forgettable. And or we she, can like do something new. Right. And she went, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not letting that happen. So I'm going to do it, but it's not going to be a remake of the first one. And oh, well, that's cool. That sounds really interesting. It is interesting. It feels it. very it- strange to watch. So just, yeah. it's not... It just—it's not a matrix. It's almost not a Matrix movie. You know what I mean? It's very fucking weird. It's extremely self-referential. It sits completely separately from the trilogy, um, but it's—but it's good. And so you also, don't have to watch two and three to watch it. You reckon? Yeah. So um, at least you have to rewatch or be very familiar with three 
the events that happen at the end of three because it takes place involving what happens at the end of the third one. Oh, so I don't fuck. know if you got to rewatch the whole. <laughs> I don't know if you got to rewatch the whole trilogy. I like the trilogy, so I don't even think that's a bad thing. And I just haven't seen I, two or three. I don't right. think I've seen two or three. I rewatched them in the COVID testing lines, <laughs> like oh, right. a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> so um, right, okay. They're actually. I think they're really good comfort movies because even if you fucking tune out from all the philosophy shit, I think it's just cool to watch. But um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, it feels, so most, I don't think many people have seen Cloud Atlas, but that's a great fucking movie about, like, revolution and legacy and hope and love, and it's so earnest and so dedicated to not trying to appeal to any sense of what people are used to seeing in films, that it has such a unique voice, and I think that shines through in, in this latest Matrix film in a way that maybe the first ones had their the first ones had their own identity so much so that they're almost they've almost eclipsed the Wachowskis as like a creative pair I think yeah whereas like Cloud Atlas Speed Racer Jupiter Ascending Sense Eight all of the other stuff that they've worked on sort of man they've worked on so much shit that I just haven't seen (laughs) yeah I know I watched Cloud Atlas and I really loved it it's actually probably one of my favorite movies but um that's crazy uh. Yeah, I know, and it's like a th- fucking three and a half hour long <laughs> insane film, but but like I've never seen anything like it, and I think similarly yeah. I've never seen another sequel like The Matrix Resurrections. Maybe I haven't seen Gremlins too, but I imagine it's a similar thing to to people. But The Matrix ex- right. is such a cultural touch point. It's a little like actually, and they they compare it to this in the Red Letter Media review as well. Um, it's yeah, like yeah. Ryan Johnson's Star Wars, where it just takes a lot of the stuff that you would expect and it just throws it in the bin. It's like I'm not doing that. You know what I That's mean? That's cool. That's not this kind yeah. of sequel. And 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 for people who just want the same shit again, that's going to make them unhappy. But if you're not yeah. taking those expectations in, and the film makes fun of people who will want that, <laughs> like it lit, it, yeah. it has a contempt for people where that's all that they expect, and um, or maybe not expect but desire. Um, and yeah. it really, yeah, I'll, I'll shut up about it, but, um, but it's, it's, it's oh, I'm so glad you hard it. to no, talk okay, I think you've sold it. Yeah. I'm, it, I'm upset that I'm going to have to watch two fucking. You could watch a summary watch... and get away with it. Just watch a summary of the other two. You don't have to watch the whole thing again. You basically just need to know what happens to Zion, a couple of the major characters and cause there's characters that come back and um, right. and what happens to Neo and Trinity at the end of the trilogy? So there's a couple yeah, of important okay, things, but enough. if you just watch a plot summary, maybe you could watch go like Google one of those like, can you explain the meaning of the Matrix? And it'll tell you all the shit that happens <laughs> or whatever. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, just suddenly anyway. being like, you can watch a summary and you probably won't get it. So <laughs> no, I'm, I think yeah, those yeah. will cover it in yeah, a way where like, who's just doing a summary of the Matrix trilogy? You know what I mean? So maybe those yeah, films yeah. are a good way to consume them without having to watch the whole movie. But yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. Should we so should we stop talking both, about the weirdly. Matrix and start? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We I, like I said, we won't do an episode of that, but that's my opinion on it. Yeah. Cool. All right. No worries. Well, I'm I'm glad you, I'm glad it's better than I thought it would be. So this that's yeah. cool. Uh, Just weird. It's very weird. Speaking of weird. <laughs> My planet Arrakis is so beautiful when the sun is low. Rolling over the sands, you can see spice in the air. 
the outsiders ravage our lands in front of our eyes. Their cruelty to my people is all I've known. What's to become of our world? Hey, Duncan, can I trust you with something? Yes, always, you know that. I've been having dreams about a girl on Arrakis. I don't know what it means. Dreams make good stories. But everything important happens when we're awake. Hey, you, put on some muscle? I did? No. We are a house of Trades. There is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray. Smile, Gurney. I am smiling. The Emperor asks us to bring peace to Arrakis. House Atreides accepts! I know you. There's only awakening in my mind. You need to face your fears. Come with me. So, Gene! Gene! Uh, is a 2021 science fiction epic film. This film is fucking epic. Oh, I'm it's fucking you. hella epic, dude. <laughs> <laughs> directed, uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve, uh, and it's an a- adaptation of a book, you know, nerd shit. One of those things. Writ- <laughs> written by a fella named Frank, Frank in 1965. Correct. Uh, so that's what we're dealing with. And for those of you, uh, uh, most people listening to this podcast probably know already, but uh, a movie is uh, no. <laughs> it, um, but Dune has been Dune has a fucking notorious reputation because um, it's been adapted before, most famously, I think, by David Lynch. In what yeah. most people understand to be a catastrophic failure of cinema, and the first person to tell you that will be David Lynch. <laughs> I wasn't a hundred percent. I I don't know quite how that happened. That's my one, uh, in my mind, uh, big failure. And um, but I learned a tremendous amount on that film. I love Dino. I love his daughter, Rafaela. I love the cast and crew. And I loved Mexico City. I was down there for a year and a half. Uh, Dune took three years to make, start to finish. Um, but it was a nightmare. And it was a nightmare. Oh, yeah. David Lynch, I think, regrets working on it. And it was also, apparently, they tried to adapt it in the 70s. There yes. was some Italian guy who proposed to do, like, a 10-hour cut of yeah. Dune as a movie. This was, like, yeah. I suppose in the early 70s before, like, big TV epics were a thing. But he was, like, some studio asked some fucking Italian guy whose name I'm sure you have in front uh, of you there. Yeah, Alejandro Yudorowsky, I think. Chilean that French, guy. I believe, is one. And he was like, oh, yeah, I can do it, but it has to be 10 hours. And the studio yeah. was like, well, we're not, well, we're not well, doing that. Uh, like, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> and like he yeah. apparently he he tried to get like Pig Floyd to do the soundtrack and all this for all the this record, crazy shit. Dude, he was right. Like he was fucking onto something. Oh well, yeah, this this movie's gonna end up being fucking ten hours long. This fucking Denis Villeneuve version, like I oh, put yeah. all the parts together. Yeah, dude. Uh, so just just a little tidbit, by the way, Jedorowski, um cast Salvador Dali as one of the Emperor characters and Dali wanted That's to be so paid $100,000 per hour. <laughs> to which That's so sick. Jadorowski agreed. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, fair enough, bro. I agree. I'm going to talk to Warner Brothers and see what they reckon. Yeah, and the best part is he was like, yeah, cool, great. And then he turned to his crew and he was like, right, we have to get this filmed in one hour. <laughs> 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 Did he film any of it? Uh, I think they got quite a bit into pre-production, like but pre-production. I don't think so. Uh, okay. Yeah, um, apparently but I've a seen some concept art stuff, that. and it looks fucking great. I feel like uh, I feel like Villeneuve is the closest thing that's ever been made to um, to this first version of it and probably does a better right. job because it would have been extremely seventies, but yeah. Um, but, but very, I guess it's just been like a, a fucking very checkered history of trying to adapt. And part of the reason why is the book covers so much, so many characters, so much, uh, physical space in that there's like, you know, whole planets with all this lore that it's so lore heavy that it's really good to read and sit there with and be able to flip back and forth between like, you know, the fucking pages of the families and shit. But then when you actually go to, to do it as a fucking film, not just a TV series, but a film, um, it's extremely difficult. And, uh, I think, yeah, Villeneuve has, well, spoiler alert, he's done a fucking great job of managing to make this a bite-sized piece when, like, you know, arguably bigger names than him have failed before him. So, yeah. Yeah. Man, I thought this movie was... F- yeah. Anyway, um, what did you... Bro, I don't have much of a history with Dune. Have you, What did you think of this movie? Yeah, I think we both loved it, right? Yeah. Fucking incredible. I absolutely loved it. Absolutely. If you can see this in the movies, I don't know, if you want to go like at 9am on a Wednesday and risk it, <laughs> this movie's a movie you want to see on the big screen. Uh, it is. This movie, I think we're, we're releasing this episode at the time when people probably aren't going to be able to see it. Uh, so, uh, two things. One, yeah, get it on streaming services um, soon enough, I think. Like, you can buy it on the Microsoft Store in the US. It's on a bunch yeah. of US streaming services, including Amazon Video, so use a VPN. Um, but it'll yeah. be out on Blu-ray soon enough. And um, I feel, yeah. yeah. I feel like one of the things I enjoyed most about this movie being in the cinema was just that it was... I mean, the spectacular production design and world building. Yeah. It feels like a top-tier sci-fi property. Like, it feels like yeah. a Star Wars. Totally. It feels like a Blade Runner it feels like you're watching uh, one of those big boy fucking pr- uh, productions. Yeah. Um, the production designer was the same production designer who's worked on a bunch of shit, including Arrival, which I, I, I remember right. when I first saw Arrival thinking this is one of the first sci-fi movies I've ever seen. Maybe Star Wars does it too, but that captures yeah. the fucking scale of these ships. 
you watch it descend upon like human landscapes and you're like, holy fuck, that thing is incomprehensibly big. And you and feel a sense of this, it. This, this film one does, does it this even better. really well like that. There's these massive yeah. like arc kind of ships yeah. when they land on Arrakis. That, it, let's not get too you know what's carried away with this. The production designer also was a production designer for Prisoners and Sicario and also Vice, Adam McKay's film. So he's just Denis Villeneuve's fucking production designer. Well, but right? also Vice. <laughs> but uh, I think it's... Yeah, uh, right. I, I don't know. I just want to quickly acknowledge um, yeah, Patrice Vermette because like they have such fucking range like those films just prisoners is meant to look like it's like completely natural and then you've got yeah. dune which is this insane like um Sci-fi other world thing. that feels yeah. i don't know it well, just it's one of those films that just feels like it you know you know those perfect works of art i find this with songs sometimes where it doesn't feel like someone made them iteratively it just feels like they came into the world Already fully formed, completely like they just cohesive. Shattered out, yeah, fully yeah. formed. Yeah. It just was born. It was never going to be. It was like the the ship looks that way because that's the way it is, and it was never going to look any other way because that's. Oh what yeah, it is. this, this you know? totally. This definitely feels like watching it. Like watching all these like huge, big like desert cities just like stretching out into the horizon on yeah. camera, and watching these like the like the helicopter X wing kind of ships yeah. that are kind of. Uh, inspired by dragonflies, like all all the different parts of this world, no, nothing pops up on screen and you go, oh, that's weird. You, you sit and you go, oh yeah, of course, that's what that looks like. It's like, perfect. I feel like even like Star Wars stuff, like the Stormtrooper helmets are kind of, like Dar- Darth Vader's helmet, for example, is kind of goofy. The laser swords are kind of silly. Like nothing in this movie popped out to me as a bit silly. Like mm. every single thing in this movie felt like it was just like, yeah, you're right. Like it just appeared fully formed in someone's fucking sketchbook and was like, this is exactly how it is. I haven't designed this. This is just how this thing is. Um, just thinking before I lose the thought about like uh, one of the things I liked the most about seeing this movie in a cinema was just that it's it's a long movie and there are some parts of the movie that are a bit slow. Not that sure. they're boring, but it's just that if I was at home, I'd be checking my phone. Uh, but Okay, that's sad, but yeah, sure. In this thing on the big screen... It, the scale of the picture I was able to see was so big and so spectacular that uh, you could really like soak in every single detail of the production value so that even when the story was getting a bit slow or there was a scene that was like uh, like a very moody kind of vibey scene where not much plot was happening, I was just enjoying just soaking up the world and just in- enjoying yeah. looking at all the details and all the just the experience of seeing this was was incredible. There's not a and single was, like, frame in this film enough. that isn't just fa- fascinating to stare at. Yeah, exactly. Like I was yeah. never bored. And so yeah. I would be curious about how I would feel watching this for a second time or even watching this at home. Uh, because I feel sure. like watching this for the first time, it's absolutely blew my mind. <laughs> I, I, I saw it twice and it was like, I mean, obviously you, you never watch anything for the first time twice, but, um, but like I got chills the first time I watched it um, and I got chills the second yeah. time I watched it. So I was still... Um, it's it still felt so good to. Um, I feel like with these Denis Villeneuve films, it, like you, he manages to make you live in this world for a second, and um, and I and I felt yeah. that the second time I watched it as well. So you yeah, know, I, I I think it's I think it's amazing. I think he's a genius, <laughs> and um, mm. and this is my favorite I, type of movie. 
Oh yeah, I was going to say this definitely seems to. I was going to ask if this scratched the same itch that Blade Runner twenty uh, twenty forty nine did. Yeah, this is yeah, dude. All this dude's films are so fucking ambitious recently. Like <laughs> Jesus yeah. Christ, like. Arrival being this like brand new, oh, I don't know, like, yeah, new for film. Yeah, like, no, no, new, no IP, like, yeah. Property might have been based on a short story or something, I think. Yes, but I then, think like, it was, yeah. fucking a sequel to Blade Runner, and he knocked it out of the park. And now Dune, the famously unfilmable film. <laughs> and I mean, I know this is only like a first part, so he might fuck it with part two or three or whatever, but like, oh, this no, is. No, he's sick. not going to do it. It's going to be the same. Yeah. Yeah. This is this was sick, and I, I thought thinking about this a bit. Um, I know I said there was some slow scenes, but like thinking about the fact that this is only a part one, and so the book itself. Uh, have you read the book? Yes. Right. Okay. I haven't. And so thinking about the idea that I don't know where this story is going, and mm. I thought like if you chop a book up into two or three parts, like you could two very parts. easily like be like, so it's going to be just two parts, is it? Yeah. Right, okay, so he's cutting the story in half. This kind of doesn't feel like he's cut a story in half and there is a story missing. But this film ends with a nice, like, inspirational, cliffhangery kind of kind of tease of where the story is going to go. But this story itself feels really compelling and it's always suspenseful. Uh, and I think the pacing and the stakes of just this film as like a standalone story are excellent. Well, I think, so... I think what, um, so I listened to like a lot of, it's been a little while since we saw it. And so I watched a lot of the stuff. Yeah. It was one of those films where I, I don't know, I just, I get out of the theater and I immediately want to like soak up every single interview that Villeneuve did because I just want to understand what his creative process was. So yeah. um, when he talked about it, he said like it was absolutely critical for him that this was a story about Paul and Lady Jessica. Those are the two characters. It's not a story about Lady Arrakis. Jessica is Paul's mom. Paul's right? mother. It's yeah. so funny, man, that it's this like sci-fi thing, and they have names like fucking Paul and Jessica. Like, yeah, I know. People keep saying sick. that. I don't know. It's, I guess just because I read the book and spent so much time with the characters, that it's it's like it's just noise to me now. But yeah, it is. I guess it's it'd be funny. like if Darth Vader's name was Dwayne, man. It's <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Um, it's just like not. I suppose every single other property has these crazy ass sci-fi names. Yeah, but I mean, and like this dude's Luke name is Paul. Is Luke a sci-fi <laughs> name? I guess it's more. You know what? You're right. And there's than... actually a lot of. If yeah, we get Luke around to talk about Paul? it later, yeah, we we could get around to because there's a lot of ties with Star Wars. Yeah, I thought yeah. like, oh, have nerds been accusing me? Great. So yes. you you were saying um, the sto- this story is just about Paul and Lady Jessica. He makes it a right. So he never loses sight, and I think it's one of the ways that you handle a story like this, which is so huge, is you never lose sight of the human characters that are going through these experiences. And so, and you know, he um, actually the the link, which I didn't really pick up on at first, but the link for me, and the the um, what do you call it? The like the missing link between. Um, Blade Runner and Dune feels like the genre, so sci-fi, and it feels like the scope of the story and also the like yeah. audience, the fan fandom behind it. But actually what the link yeah. is, is that both Villeneuve's script for Blade Runner 2049 and his script for Dune, which is also the main premise of the, the novel, is the chosen one type the archetype of the chosen one story so in blade runner 2049 ryan gosling's character starts to understand that he is special and must kind of hunt down 
more about that. And in Dune, obviously, like that's Paul's kind of place is that he might be the Kusas Heterarch, which is like the basically the chosen one that's meant to lead the universe in a certain way. And it's not that simple. It's got to bring balance to the force. Exactly, right? So it, so <laughs> actually Villeneuve is on a chosen one type beat at the moment. And yeah. and I think if you really remember that that's what he's trying to achieve and that he's setting that story in the universe of Dune, it, it, mm. it kind of falls into place like how he managed to fucking like cram this thing into a suitcase and close the lid, you know? You really got um, to admire that man because totally uh, yeah. like coming from someone who doesn't know this story at all, I'm sure the book fucks around with a lot of like, oh, this this great family did these things and they're responsible for these powers and this family does this and this guy's the son of this guy and this guy these these people yep. r- rule this planet and it's this city yep. and, but you don't get any of that in this book. It's just purely focused on Paul's journey and all that stuff is like sideline bullshit yep. and you sort of almost get it from Paul's perspective where there's uh yeah it just doesn't fuck around trying to tell you about the the all the history and the politics of this universe it's yeah, just it like doesn't. there are four families and the way it does it is so effective and so good and almost like in the way that a lot of great like world building stuff does it just references that this stuff exists yeah. And drops these facts that are very complicated and make no sense. That give you this impression that there's this huge, deep world that is very complicated. And these yeah. characters have had to like spend years of their lives learning. Yes. And so you're like, oh man, th- this universe is so deep. Whereas in actual fact, if you look at the content in the movie of like what it actually describes, is very minimal dialogue or like minimal detail comparatively. Yeah, describing and defining different terms and part, uh, factions and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I'm really, and I, I, I want to get into some specific elements of it in a sec, but I'm really glad that you felt that way about it because I was very worried because yeah. I'd read the book and it was really hard for me to disentangle how much work my brain was doing to fill in gaps um, yeah. based on what I knew the story should look like and also what I knew the story would go on to be. And so when well, yeah, it I was, ended, I was, I was like, holy well. yeah. shit. Like, w- he, uh, w- it, was getting towards, <laughs> it was getting towards the end of the runtime and I didn't check my watch because I was bored. I checked my watch because I was like, dude, wh- how fucking far through this are we getting? Like, we're nowhere near the end of the book. Because well, I was going to say, this really feels like it's the first quarter of the book or something. Yeah, like, it's 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 not. But um, but the second part is going to be wildly different to the first. Because obviously, like, if you, you know, I'm sure that you remember kind of what happens to the uh, to the family and, and they, you know, Arrakis is a dangerous place. So, like, mm. he is, Paul, um, I don't want to, like, can we just talk freely about like spoilers? I think you've probably seen this or not. I don't know if there are that many spoilers in this for a book that was written. Well, this in is the spoiler. This is the spoiler. Well, no, yeah, this is the spoiler warning. Then, if you don't want any okay. spoilers for June, let's see if we can do a sealed section and we can let people skip past it if they want to. Uh, I don't really need to talk explicitly. I guess Whatever, I'm just fine. referencing. Yeah, just, this I'm is referencing Paul's interactions with the Fremen. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, this is your spoiler warning. Right. But anyway, I'm really glad that you got so much out of it just narratively as you did, because I was really worried that it was going to be kind of um, inaccessible to people who hadn't read the book. 
and well, um, yeah, I, I, all and feel I like half a film, which it is, but it does. Right. It feels like half. Well, I a think film. the way that it's been put together, and I was really interested because I'm sure that yeah, for people that have read, it's just like when you read the Harry Potter books and watch the Harry Potter movies. Yeah. Because that's the only book and movie pairing I'm familiar <laughs> that's, with. Those are the only ones both that exist. Text um, that and the Matrix. I just mean like you can watch the movie and all you see is the stuff that's missing. Or like yes. you watch the movie and you understand the explanations of concepts yeah. because you've read that concept in the book. So yeah. like in this case, I'm sure that you could like re- see this and be like, oh, how the fuck are people going to understand all these different political machinations and the decisions that all these different big uh, rulers on this planet make? But from my perspective, like that shit does not matter. Like yeah, the fact exactly. that you could yeah. understand it and get more out of it is great. But... I yeah, kind of like the fact that I feel... I mean, I do... Honestly, I want to watch it again to see if I can pick up on some more of that stuff. But I'm enjoying the fact that to enjoy the story that it does not matter in the slightest whether you understand that shit or not. It's just fun world building. Right. I... Yeah, that's interesting. I feel Obviously like... Obviously it matters. But you're like, you'll, you know, you'll pick you know up on I mean. some stuff. But, um, but there's actually a lot that... Uh, there's a lot about the way that the yeah. universe. I, I love that I don't need to know who Paul is. I love that I don't need to know what these <laughs> yeah. big dumb fucking sandworms are. <laughs> I think Oscar Isaac was in it, but I can't remember who he was. What the fuck's Zendaya doing in this? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not watching Spider Man. Who cares? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like the. Oh, now it's falling out of my head. Completely lost my train of thought. Um, Sorry, brother. No, that's fine. Not your fault. It's my fucking brain. I got that bad brain, dude. <laughs> <laughs> fuck. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck it. It doesn't matter. Um, Go on. I'm just glad that you got that you got as much out of it as you did because yeah, I was I was pretty worried about mm. that. So, oh man, um, I loved it so much. Yeah, cool shit. yeah. Uh, I'm I'm really keen on the second one because it's it's also gonna have to. So like the first without I I I can't really even spoil what what's gonna happen in the second half of the book because to be perfectly honest, I remember little bits and pieces, but I don't really remember what happens. But I do yeah, remember. I do remember that it's crazy shit. <laughs> and, so, and so I don't know well, you how have read he's going to do it. Yeah. Uh, and, right. uh, and and I don't know how he's going to handle it. There's certain allusions to things that happen in this, uh, in the first film. Things like how he has these visions that aren't always true. For example, he has a vision of a character that... Like he has so two two kind of like comparisons. One, he has a vision of a character where he sees them die, and that comes to fruition in the film. But mm. he also has a, a a vision of a character um, who he spends a lot of time with and develops a relationship with that reasonably early into meeting that character is killed, and so like he doesn't necessarily have reliable visions. And you have to kind of contend with that, and but he but he witnesses some right. shit where you're like, well, some of that is going to be relevant later, but it's but it happens <laughs> in a much broader scale and very differently to how it's how it's been told. It's like the second half of this book is not just a political drama, you know. The second half right. of this book is like dealing with the fact that they control this resource that changes the way that humans interact with space and time, <laughs> and so. Um, and so I'm, I'm very interested to see narratively. <laughs> I'm like happy with the space bit. It. Very concerned about the time bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know. Right. Oh, sorry. What I was going to say really quickly that I just remembered. I don't know if I'll be able to cut this back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inception. C- Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Pixar three. I think Toy Villeneuve, Story. Um, 
has fearlessly cut shit out where he knows that if you don't know, you don't know what you don't know, right? And you don't yeah, exactly. miss well, what you're not aware of. That's kind of what I meant of. before. Exactly. Yeah. And I, yeah, I just think it's. I think one of the things that the previous um, writers have tripped up on on these these Dune adaptations is that they've been too afraid to cut material that they love. And yeah. he loves it enough to know that if he's going to try and make you watch a movie, he can't include everything yeah. that he loves. So, yeah, I think he's yeah, very clever exactly. for that. Anyway, okay, what did you think of the performances? So, let's start with Man, Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet was so fucking good in this movie. His I think he was amazing. Was so subtle. Like, the pain box scene is just yep. like a one from the trailer that... Yep. Uh, is an obvious one that he's very, very good in. Uh, he's such an understated character, an understated actor. Yes. In the best you see way. so much of his performance. I mean, people say this and it's hard to find great examples of it, but you see so much of his yeah. performance only in his eyes. I think he's really... Yeah. Um, people, he's very like... I think people think he's quite flavor of the month. Um, and I get why, but... I think this is one of his, like, currently Ooh. maybe the crowning achievement in his acting career. Um, because yeah, he's great. He, and it's... Yeah. It's literally just that, like, you can see what he is thinking. Yes, just without him having face. to say it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and, and that's so, kind of an understated thing, but there's some really complicated mm. shit going on in this film, but you still manage to, like, understand exactly what his character is feeling at yeah. certain points in time. Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. Um, My favorite performance yeah. in this movie was probably Oscar Isaac's performance. I thought he was so good as this like tender, sincerely like loving and like, l- like a father that was not afraid to show leadership and have these yeah. like moments of mentorship with his kid. We are not sure. I mean, I, I me not being familiar with the character, I didn't know whether this father was going to be very strict. He had moments of being strict and moments of like you're worried that he was going to fly off the handle and he would like act very rationally and reasonably in a way where I was like oh this this, this motherfucker's going to die <laughs> I, I think you know what it's I mean? so, like you, yeah he's like he's doomed cuz he's too much of a good guy yeah i think yeah, exactly. Oscar Isaac's performance and like it's as a character this is partial credit to Frank Herbert for writing the character like this cuz he is very much like that in the book as well but Oscar yeah. Isaac brings such a warmth to that character, yeah. That especially, I'm thinking. I'm sure we're thinking of the same moment where, um, basically, t- Timothy Chalamet is like, "What if I don't want to?" Be yeah, where they're standing on the cliffs the by those graves, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and and um, Oscar Isaac just gives him this very empathetic anecdote about how he was like, "Hey, I didn't think that I wanted it at first as either, and I found my own way there, and maybe you will too." But it's okay because either way, you're still my son, and that's all I really ever need you to be. And it's oh, so and it just loving. Like, yeah, and it was so counterintuitive to what you would normally expect from this sort of uh, sci-fi kind of world. Like, right. and so the fact that he just gave like sincerely great advice for life. Yeah, uh, in and this in that moment where it was like, that's all right, man. Like, just be who you want to be and. Be it's I, so I love amazing. you anyway. And <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's so amazing that that is because because what's what's running through your head at that point in time is that Duke Leto, who is Oscar Isaac's character, is in charge of this unfathomably large and wealthy house. Like they are the yeah. aristocracy of the aristocracy of the aristocracy, and yeah. you're just left reeling, thinking like, how can you? 
how can you be okay with your son, maybe your only son, being like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you literally. Know? Because you, you would think that his natural um, response should be to yeah. freak out, being like, for all I've done to build this up, for you how the to fuck could even, you throw it away? even acknowledge the idea that you might throw it away is yeah. it's, unthinkable. Because it's a... Andrew, it's a total fantasy that anyone in that position would ever consider doing that. Uh, well, <laughs> would ever consider being that understanding and that rational, right? And, it, and, and like Chalamet is not the um the like the rich inheritance based shithead, you know, either. He's just mm. expressing like a very human uncertainty about his role in the family and who you know not feeling like a warrior or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And also just, like, very visibly, he's like a waif compared to Oscar Isaac, who looks like a fucking yeah. soldier. And I think it's, um, yeah, I don't know, it's fucking such a human hell. interaction. In this movie and in Star Wars, Oscar Isaac looks so fucking good piloting <laughs> yeah. a spaceship. He looks like a million Holy bucks. fuck. He yeah. looks so good. Yeah. Motherfucker knows how to fly a ship. I want that guy flying every single plane I ever travel on. When I when I go to space, I want that motherfucker straight at the tip of the rocket. He looks mm. incredible. He <laughs> looks like he knows what he is doing behind think, the wheel um, of a flying <laughs> automobile. I think. Uh, oh, I, I I I guess it's worth quickly acknowledging too that I think in addition to the performances, the writing is really great. I think um, one of the things that this yeah. film could easily struggle with is just too much fucking jargon, making you feel like too a much dialogue and bullshit. Yeah, and, and and he's very it's very clean in the way that they talk about certain things. In that like it's well, not always stopping to awkwardly explain it to you, but they don't over like overweight the law in the way that they speak to each other. Yeah, it's still very clean elegant dialogue um it's great yeah. and I, I i definitely see what you mean and it feels like one of those very wishy-washy filmy film reviewery things where you say like oh they focus on the story between paul and his mom but yeah. literally like i, I see absolutely the context key. of this film that's literally what they do is like the whole film serves to just tell this very simple story between these two characters kind of uh, yep. and Oh, there's a lot of other dialogue and world building, but there's another great thing they do where, like, yeah, there's never a scene where, like, in, in the first Star Wars movie, they, like, there's, like, a pump the brakes moment where Obi-Wan Kenobi describes the Force and Jedis and all right. this stuff. Right, And I suppose that's because Luke doesn't know it. But, like, it still feels like, oh, this is exposition for us. You never get a moment where you feel like, oh, this is silly exposition for us. No, this movie. it's not. Yeah. I mean, but maybe that's just because this is a modern sci-fi movie. But, like, the Jedis in this movie is this weird, complicated, spiritual thing that it doesn't really make much sense. But the, the film yeah. isn't concerned about that. It's like, oh, you're smart. You'll figure it out by the end of the movie. Like, who yeah, cares if you don't understand what's happening Bene now? Gesser, You'll figure it right? out. Yeah, That's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, it trusts the audience. And some people are yeah. going to get left behind by that. But you just have to accept that for most people, that's going to be a much better experience than, as you say, like, ramming on the handbrake and being like, you really need to understand who this is, so I'm going to make fucking yeah. sure that you understand. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Favorite so Other favorite characters. I thought that uh, Aquaman was brilliant. <laughs> Jason Momoa was great. was great, yes. Jason As, Momoa. Uh, that was another I one believe... where... The... Yep. There's a lot of like very, very strong parallels between this movie and Star Wars, and that was one of them where like I was reminded like when Timothy Chalamet runs up and sees Jason Momoa coming out of the ship, he's like, Ah, Jason Momoa and they they hug and smile. There's like exactly the same scene in A New Hope with Luke 
uh, and his buddy yeah. from Tatooine. There's yeah. a lot, a lot of mirror images there. I think, like, fuck, is is, 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 is George Lucas just ripping off Dune? Like, is that is that what he did? Yes, he did. And I mean, when you look at um, like uh, what's fucking Tatooine, it's like a sand resource rich sand planet, right? Yeah, like he 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 did, and I don't think it's a problem, but he did draw a lot of influence from Frank Herbert. Yeah, so a lot of that. Um, yeah. Fuck, can we talk about cool lighting in this movie? There was so many, so much cool yeah, lighting in say, this fucking movie. I think my the, favorite shot. Yep. In the whole movie uh, was where he's in his like bedroom in Arrakis and he's watching those 3D holographic movies of these like. And um, that's like, that shit is so cool. Just those ideas, like, oh, there'll be these like 3D hologram movies. Like, that's, that's sick. And right. then this and little. It's like a textbook uh, or an encyclopedia. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's these little, this is like little. A uh, hunter drone mosquito assassin robot comes. Oh, in which by the way is literally a scene in one of the um, Star Wars prequels. Anakin in his fucking room, and the little thing comes in and tries to oh, kill yeah. him. Oh yeah, yeah, funny. <laughs> he is, really yeah. did rip him off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, literally. Um, yeah. And so then uh, he's like looking at this little fucking assassin robot mosquito thing, and he's standing inside the hologram in the light, and the way the um, yeah, that looks like the light is like mottled and kind of playing on his skin looks in all these different ways. Looks yep. so fucking sick. Uh, second yep. one, where they're taking this escape route through a little passageway away from the ecologist's place. I know exactly uh, the moment these, that like, you're talking about. Shafts very of light. evenly spaced columns of light. Yep. Looked so cool. Yeah, uh, and then yep. the the encounter w- w- with the sand, the first encounter with the sandworm at dusk, where it's like almost fucking pitch black, and the film makes you like squint at this scene for like two minutes. It's sick. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's um, it's just like in Sicario, um, they they weren't the giant afraid sandworm of... in Sicario. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the cinematographer for this was Greg Fraser, who's actually from Melbourne, which is you know Aussie, 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 um. But he also directed uh, Rogue One, which I think is the best Star Wars looking film. Uh, the best looking Star Wars film. So, <laughs> it's um, a fucking Star Wars looking film. Star Wars looking ass <laughs> film. Um, That's what did, this uh, film is, bro. Dune is a fucking three... Star Wars looking ass film. He did three episodes of The Mandalorian, so he's got a little, like, a good handle on that that sci-fi type shit now. He also filmed Vice, so they had the same production designer and cinematographer for Vice. Um, Yeah, right. And, uh... Dick Cheney didn't fucking waltz on set. Kind of did. He kind of did. He kind of did. And, uh... Yeah, I, I think that the look of this film is just perfect. They were so there's so many choices that they make that other film franchises or um or, or even just large scale films will not do because either they're cutting costs and they're okay with the look being yeah. shittier. I watched a um a comparison of like why does basically why does Dune look so good? And they talked about this um, this the building these things called what they that they call sand screens, which are green screens, but they're sand colored, and um, uh. that sounds dumb as fuck. But what it achieves is <laughs> it let them, um, it it basically meant that they could light in a way that made the character not stand out from the environment. Whereas with green screen, how do you? Edit around the sand screen if everything else exactly. is also fucking. They just sand did. Colored. It was similar enough that they could that they could still do a mat of the a mat is a like a uh, um, editing term where you 
create a shape around the person, that they could still do right. that effectively enough, but that it made them not have to do the weird looking artificial lighting that you end up inevitably having to do with a green screen. And yeah, I have seen that before. Where like right. the fact that everything is green in the studio means that you get weird reflections off the actor's skin. Yeah, so they so were talking about that within the context of the Mandalorian because the Mandalorian doesn't use green screen. No, it uses they use a massive fucking LCD panel. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which of course generates so LEDs generate their own light. Green screen doesn't generate their own light. Someone needs to be at least three meters, if not way more, away from a green screen in order to not have the green spill hit their skin. So there's certain constraints that you're then put under when you're filming around those types of things where it's it doesn't matter how close these people are to the yeah. Um, to the background in this because it's not doing that same spill. So, man, also this might be the, the best effects that, in um, any movie that I've ever seen. I think so. I think it is. I think that the people who work on Villeneuve's films, which is like Weta Workshop, yeah. it's it's a lot of visual effects people, are the best in the business. And I also think there's certain decisions that are made, like this one of the um, one of the references that this person who was they were comparing black widow and this and there was a scene in black widow where scarlett johansson is basically um running or flying or some shit through a corridor that's exploding behind her and running because black widow can't fly idiot (laughs) what i think she's riding a bike or some shit who cares that it's dumb as fuck and um as she's so basically behind her, there are these explosions happening constantly, and what that should be yeah. doing is spilling light onto her face from reflections yeah. from shit in front of her, and so she should be very darkly lit at certain points in that in, in certain moments, and then very brightly lit, and then but you see her face is just lit uniformly the whole time. Yeah, because, like the way it would be in a studio. Yeah, right. Because both because they're filming on green screen, but also because in Marvel films, they always want to be able to see the face of the person. Whereas in Dune, that they compared it to the scene where um, uh, a lot of spaceships are blowing up <laughs> and it's at night time. <laughs> and and, and um, Josh Brolin is running through these, uh, between the space between these spaceships, but it's at to night time. undetermined fate. <laughs> right. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yes. Yes? To an undetermined for the purpose, fate. For the, for the purposes of the position we are at in this episode. Um, I, I think it's fine, but I can't remember. Great, cool. Anyway, Great. Um, so he is mostly completely silhouetted, but when a ship explodes, he's fully lit so you can see his face. But yeah, you know it's fucking Josh Brolin's character... It looked right? real. This shit looks real. I know. It's because that's it how it would sick. really happen. Whereas in yeah. Marvel films, they're not even interested in that. They're okay with it looking like it's fake because I guess it's based mm. on a comic book and they're like, it's not real anyway. I'll tell you what. Know. You're totally right. This movie looks like it's fucking... It, it, this looks like Zero Dark Thirty or The Hurt Locker or something. Well, shit. funnily enough, but it's like a Zero Dark Thirty movie. was the same cinematographer. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. That's um, that's sick. Well, I yeah, think, and, like, and I remember seeing... Um, I remember seeing uh, Rogue One and thinking like, fuck, this looks amazing. This is the best Star Wars yeah. film I've seen visually. And um, and yeah, I, th- I don't know. I think it's This is one really Star Wars looking ass film. That's a real... But it doesn't look like Star Wars because it fucking actually looks real. The scene on the yeah, beach looks fucking great. It's this... I think... I don't, yeah. oh, I don't know if that's the same movie, but um, I, I feel like all of the anti-grav shit and the spaceships crashing into each other looks better in Rogue One than it does in normal... Um, Star it's Wars the best looking Star Wars movie. I, I think, think it's great. It looks anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I think it looks fantastic. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the lighting and the art direction are maybe the two strongest elements of this film, but saying that kind of devalues the rest of the film, which is also excellent, so it's hard to, well, yeah, the performances, hard to say. Yeah, the, the performances are unreal. They're so good. They're really uh, fantastic. The writing and the direction, the fact that this is only the first half of a 600-page book and it yep. somehow feels sparse, but also... It feel like there's enough space for you to breathe in the movie, but it feels contained. Like they're trying to cram, yeah, and it also feels that there's a very clear direction. Like it's not yep. like the point of the movie is like, oh, we're gonna get halfway through the story and then fuck you, audience. No. Like no. this movie, there's a very clear plot. There's a very clear, compelling. F- reason to be watching it the whole time like maybe there's no like oh paul has to go here and do this but you're 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 satisfied that there is something concrete happening the whole time it's not like we're going to show you three hours of alien world porn we're going to show you three no. hours of eye candy no, it's like it's there all is human very story cl- yeah, and it's very clear shit happening. It's like the family goes to this planet. They have to take control of the production for this spice thing. It's completely fucked up. They've been fucked over by these people. These people are upset. These people do this. Like, There's a very yep. clear explanation for what's happening at every single step of the process, but it also doesn't feel insanely complicated. Like, I didn't really feel overwhelmed watching it. I felt like I missed some stuff. I don't want to go watch it again, but like, yeah. I loved that. It felt very clear the whole way through. I think it's also like clever ways to, and there's a, there's a real art to this, like clever ways to make people make it very clear what a character is meant to do or meant to be before they even say a fucking word. Like you need zero context in this film to understand that Stellan Skarsgård is a bad guy. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Baron Harkonnen, the name is fucking Baron Harkonnen. Like, that's yeah. a bad guy name. You know what I mean? And he fucking, mm. like, the way that he's shot and lit the whole time, everything to do with the Harkonnens is, like, black or blood. It's like, you know, I don't know. There's so much work done to make you feel like you understand what's going on and who you should feel good about, who you want to succeed, who you should feel bad about and who you want to try and beat that it almost could be non-verbal, I think. Like, it's really, really impressive the extent to which this is, it's done. Man, I want to watch, it it fucking blew my mind. Like, just thinking about the Baron Harkonnen, Every single thing I think about this movie, it blows my mind how similar it is to something in Star Wars. Like, yeah. it b- George Lucas must be fucking spewing that they have now managed to film this because he's he's been like, oh, I found some six hundred page fucking novel. No one's reading this <laughs> shit. No one's going to realize how similar visually the stuff is to like this shit. I wonder how much of Dune was inspired. The this Dune movie was inspired by Star Wars, like kind of in this weird loop. Yeah, that's where interesting. Because, I like, think... a lot of the ways that Arrakis and, like, the big city that they fly into looks very similar to Moss Eisley sort of stuff. Yeah. And it looks very similar to a lot, like, it reminds me very visually of the way that stuff in Star Wars is is depicted. And, like, the angles yeah. of the starfighters and that sort of thing, like, the angles of an X-Wing remind me a lot of the fucking dragonfly ships in this. In yeah, a way I... where, like, that can't have been in the book. That's like some watching, visual artist. I was watching this. This came up in interviews, basically. And if I recall correctly, and I'm kind of summarizing here, I feel like um, Villeneuve was basically like, 
we're obviously aware that there's been so much, uh, you know, that this is, it, it's been so influential yeah. that it's become influence. Um, and, and that, you know, like the world of Star Wars or whatever exists. So we didn't try to, I guess he, he probably would have said something like, we just kind of tried to ignore it. Like we didn't try to work against it, but we also didn't yeah, really try. Yeah. But what you more hear him talk about is he feels like he's had this stuff in his head for since he read it as a 13-year-old. And he's he talks over and over and over again about making this film for him as a 14-year-old and right. making it for himself. And he said, you know, he's taking the approach that like, Whatever he does, he and whatever you know, all of the pressure that is a, is is being applied by fans of this story, he's trying to ignore because he's trying to make it the best version that the f- person who read the book would have wanted. And I think that extends cool. through to him imagining what this world looked like. He's probably thinking much more about like, does this feel like it was what I was picturing when I was reading the book, or does this feel like yeah. something different? So I would imagine it's gotta, that he's got to be. Yeah, I appreciate like that, but I'm just thinking like, I, oh, sorry, no, you're breaking right. up a bit. No, that's right. Oh, okay, great. No, I'm just thinking like it's got to be like because there's got to be like a whole team of visual artists. Yeah, and what you, you can't remember the shit you saw in your head. Like, I agree that he's probably trying to stay faithful to his vision rather than try and like put like a vision board together of different looks for different stuff. But I, I, I just, I think it's so fascinating to think like clearly content wise, there is shit that George Lucas has stolen from this book to put into star Wars, or it's been right. very heavily inspired by. And then he's represented that on screen in star Wars. And then that has just become like, that's just become so ingrained so in our culture and yeah. sewing so, like Star Wars, like wrote the book for how modern sci-fi looks kind of, right. I imagine. I bailed on that very quickly. but <laughs> No, <laughs> you know I, mean, I mean, like, yeah, you're, you're I'm sure right. Subconsciously, like, yeah. it, Star Wars has established this visual language and I just I'm think sure it's it so has, interesting yeah. that they're so similar. It's like yeah. this weird, like this loop. I mean, you know, it, it it must have influenced in some way, shape, or form. But also, I I don't think I'm lot... complaining about. It. I just think it's I think it's fascinating. The more I thought about it, it's like who what's being stolen from who. It's like they're both reflexively influential on each other. I think that's really yeah cool. yeah. I, I think um <laughs> I, I know I know what you're asking, and it is interesting to talk about. But I also think for me, like, and also for me, like as a writer and director, when I'm when I'm working in this space, um, I I, yeah. I just I try and not be too afraid of borrowing. You know what I mean? I think all art is derivative and you don't want to... I feel like you know if you're stealing an idea, you know? And, yeah. and so you never want to steal the idea, but you are a, your brain is a product of the media that you have consumed and you can't do anything about that and you shouldn't try to do yeah. something about that. So if you want to let that influence your drawer influence... I mean, like when you're a visual artist working on this type of film you would get given material that the director, like the director's lookbook, which is like going to have all sorts of shit in it saying like, this is, okay, you're working on the Harkonnens. This is what I want it to feel like. And it might have shit like a, you know, 18th century Gothic church, or it might have yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a black and white picture of a bed sheet. And, and they're trying to, you know, he's trying to capture the, 
the light, like how it should feel. And you're going to take that and you're going to be like, oh, this reminds me of all of this shit that I've seen. Or you're going to be struck by inspiration and just think like, I've got this yeah, idea yeah, in yeah. my head now, right? So uh, it, it is interesting. And I think it's, I, I think it's just none the first of that time is I consider being, it like this in this way. Right, right. I think none of it's being denied, yeah. like the influence of Star Wars, but also none yeah. of it is being, but it doesn't feel derivative at all. I don't think I'm, yeah, I don't think I'm thinking about anything sinister happening or like, no, like no, calling like yeah. George, I suppose I am calling George Lucas a hack, but like, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I wouldn't think be that the I'm, first. It's just, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm just, it's the first time I've had this like mind blowing, like, whoa, George Lucas is a fucking hack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you know, it's like again, finding I, a I, book from 1980 with a boy wizard. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, have you heard about that yeah. shit? There's like a series that JK like literally ripped off. Fuck yeah, no. I'll I'll tell you about this. There's a series where it's like shameless. Yeah. Like she's yeah, she's she talks about her napkin scribbling, and then you go back and you're like, oh, ten years earlier there was a book about a boy wizard with like a young female friend and a young male friend, Great, and they cool. do a bunch of shit. Great, and it's like some title that's very similar. Anyway, fuck J.K. Rowling, but um, good shit. I I think uh, yeah, I don't know. I th- I think this film looks like. Like I said, I, I can't think of a better way to say how impressive this is to watch than just that it feels like it already existed and they just went there and filmed it. It doesn't feel like humans made it. this up. It feels like yeah. they... It, or it doesn't feel like artists made this up. It feels like humans built these things. Um, yeah. And, and like, like they the had an encyclopedia of this planet. and Yeah. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. The, the sandworms look how... They should like the and I I don't know it's it's perfect I think for me this is like a perfect film I wanted to um I wanted to quickly mention the soundtrack as well because yeah um, the, the score I was, talking, was fucking incredible right sorry score I was talking to someone about this that felt like it was or maybe I read criticism that that was like, ah, it didn't really feel like it did anything. Like it kind of felt unremarkable. And I Im- initially was like, yeah, I kind of agree with that. But then I realized in the car on the way home and the next day, uh, parts of the score were playing in my head. And I, I feel like this is one of the more like, I don't know, it's not... There's no, like, I now know the theme from the film that I've, because I've listened to it a bunch of times. I feel like this isn't as strong a theme as, like, fucking Inception or, you know, I don't know, one of the other Christopher Nolan things that Zimmer might have done. But I think the music, how the music builds into the world is so impressive. I think he's, like, you know, he's feeling like as seamless as the production design, yeah. Exactly. He he's doing like John Williams for Star Wars here. Like he's he's making the world feel lived in and real through the music and I I'm, I was really impressed by the score. So um you'll probably hear some of it at the end of this podcast. But yes. <laughs> I, I I really thought it was yeah, definitely. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Oh man, um, I'm glad that it held up for you as well because yeah. yeah, I really I really liked it. The worst thing about this film is that the next one's not coming out until 2023. And I think that what I'm going to do That's still pretty is, soon. I, uh, yeah, I was actually reasonably pleasantly surprised. But um, but I am going to 
Oh, I've got a new rating system, which is will I be buying this on Blu-ray, 4K or nothing? This is a 4K We hinted at that a few sure. weeks ago and then never followed up on it. I know, I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is yeah, a 4K yeah, for sure. This is a 100% 4K lock. I'm buying this as soon as it fucking comes out. This is a Fuck special yeah. edition. Criterion board. collection. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> and then I really want to watch the them because cr- they're both probably going to be about two and a half hours. I'm going to do yeah. a... Like back to back viewing, I reckon that's the way to watch these two films. Is you just blast through them. Where so, does this sit yeah. for you in comparison to Blade Runner twenty forty nine? It's hard to judge because it really is half a story. Like I know I, I I'm yeah. kind of amazed at how much you've said it's comprehensive because for me knowing the full arc, it really feels like it just fucking stops halfway. So um, yeah, definitely, yeah, it definitely stops right as it gets going. It's he's like, like this fil- first movie feels like he's like I'm gonna go on a great adventure one day, and then like he gets to the bit where he's about to start his great adventure, and the movie stops. So like I, I definitely it's get 100% that. But I just think set that, up for me, yeah, yeah. Um, but, I'm, but I suppose I mean, like, the know, setup doesn't feel boring. It doesn't feel like it's set up. It feels like no, you're watching this fully formed like origin story kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but f- so for me, I think I still love the story from Blade Runner. Um, but depending on what he does with part two, um, maybe this would... It feels unfair to let like a five-hour, two-part film dwarf uh, the story that he told in like a two-hour and two hour or th- you know three-hour movie for Blade Runner. I think I still yeah. prefer Blade Runner, but... This might be a better movie. I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I have so much of the same love for both. Like the way that the casting and acting is fucking flawless. The way that the art direction looks, the score, the way that the world just feels born, um, is yeah. wonderful. So uh, yeah, I mean, for me, they're they're basically on par, and I think they're both kind of perfect movies. It's just that this one definitely needs part two. <laughs> What's funny yeah, is definitely. the studio refused to greenlight part two until they found out that part one was successful so yeah that's the crazy bit i was going to mention that because like lord of the rings for example they did they shot all three movies kind of back to back right uh and never stopped filming really but this one they've completely fucking packed up and like that they i don't they haven't started on two i suppose they fucking have now but like yeah, crazy. Yeah, and and Villeneuve said he was like grateful for it because he basically needed the break, and I'm sure that the Lord of, the Lord of the Rings, by all accounts, was hell to film. So I can I'm glad <laughs> that they're doing it this way. But what I'm what I'm thinking is like if it had been because Blade Runner was a box office flop, like it was fucking amazing. The first film and 2049 were both like disappointments, you right? Know, in terms like, of ma- like box imagine office. If, right. Imagine if so Blade Runner I was, was half the like, story. Yeah. Right. It's like, I don't... Why would the studio, off the back of Blade Runner 2049, agree to give him a two-parter saying, well, we're only going to make the second part if the first part is successful? Just shows that they do not give a care... They don't care about the story at all. Yeah, and let him (laughs) cut it halfway through. Like, it's so insane that they were willing to say, we might not make this This shows even more, because we did a story a few months ago about how Dini Avellino was upset that this movie was going to be going straight to HBO Max as well. And I think yeah. he was upset about it because he was worried that would hurt the box office sales. Yes. And then that would yeah. then be used as a reason for the studio to not greenlight the second movie. Yeah. 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 And, you know, yeah, I'm with him. I guess it's it worked out, but um, 
you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm i really glad. Yeah, what do you... Have you got... Because uh, people know that my, like, Blade Runner 2049 is, is you know, maybe my favorite film, but... Um, have you got a better than, worse than kind of lined up? I reckon I liked. I reckon I like this more than Blade Runner, but I haven't seen Blade Runner. I think I've only seen Blade Runner once. Like I've never sure. gone back to it, and Blade Runner feels very dense to me, in a way that this didn't. So I'm sure I'm, yeah, I'm probably the same as you. If you got me on a different day, like yeah, I'd probably give it. If, if I went and bought Blade Runner again, I might be able to give a more honest answer. But I feel like just instinctually, because I've seen this one most recently, this is the one that's got the biggest impression for me. Uh, I think Easy Lock, this is better than Arrival. Easy. Better than what, sorry? Arrival. And Arrival is an amazing film. <laughs> I think that the, yeah, I, I was going to say that this is better than like the best Star Wars movie for me. Like this is yeah, better 100%. than The Last Jedi for me. 100%, 100%. Like the Ryan Johnson Star Wars. This is better than yeah. that. And this is better than Rogue One for me. Like this is like... Uh, the, uh, I don't know. This feels like I'm a, a more mature version of Star Wars in like a shitty, yeah. pretentious film boy way. But like, th- this yeah. feels like what Star Wars wants to be. I think so. And, and like now, I guess I, I've I've had to push back a lot against me thinking that type of thing of like, um, oh, those those films for dumb people. Uh, wish they were these films for smart people. And like, Star Wars is yeah. just going for a very different thing. Well, I love but, Star Wars, but I just think that maybe it's because this is new and it's yeah, I'm having the excitement of watching it. What were you saying, sorry? No, I, I, I agree, but I just feel like um I feel like this I feel like this elevates itself beyond the failings of Star Wars. I don't think this falls into the same pitfalls that Star Wars does. You know, I don't think it feels yeah. cringy in some ways that Star Wars does, but I think it still maintains all of the uh, compelling elements of Star Wars, so it does feel for me like I would choose to watch this or any you know six, yeah. six films done like this compared to watching what Star Wars any day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I definitely feel like the old. It's uh, comparing this to the old Star Wars movies probably isn't a fair comparison because lots of old seventies sci fi feels very naff in a way yeah. that doesn't really hold up. And those old Star Wars movies feel quite naff. But I think comparing it to The Last Jedi is probably a pretty fair one because The Last Jedi is another, like, I, I fucking love The Last Jedi. Uh, and I think that was quite good. And it didn't have yeah, the cheesy that's, that's Star right, Wars tone right, to yeah. it. Yeah, and it did, yeah. yeah, exactly. And it didn't have the cheesy Star Wars tone and all the dumb fucking Joss Whedon-y characters that all the other ones yeah. seem oh to. So Definitely like, the best I, Star Wars film. Like, I think it's, I wouldn't say it's a tight call because I love June, but I honestly think maybe I just love June because it's a new thing and it's fun to see a new thing. So who knows how I feel I think it's, 20 years I from think now. I think it's amazing, but, yeah. And the, yeah, it was incredible. If you check out, so real, real fucking nerds will be like, but Andrew, you said it was a perfect film, yet you gave it four and a half on Letterboxd. Well, <laughs> I'm giving it four and a half because it's only half a film. Like for Brilliant. me, so it gets the it, other it gets the other half when he finishes it. <laughs> so half the other one will now, be a five and a half later. star movie. <laughs> Great, yeah, cool. You get you get the other star when the job's finished. That's right, yeah, yeah. Four four and a half Fuck up yeah. front. The last one when we're done. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're paying um, a hitman, but what you're paying to evil nerve to do is to blow your fucking mind, bro. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess you're paying a hitman to do that to someone else as well, but. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I think it's one of all right. my is that, like I wish is that all we got I wish we say how good it is again? thousands of films like this made. I think this is beautiful. Yeah, it's I sick. think this is the the I think these films that what Denis Villeneuve manages to do is to 
tell some of the most amazing stories that have ever been told. And, um, yeah. it, and, uh, I don't know. I, I'm glad that I live at the same time as he's making art. Like that's, <laughs> I, I know that sounds extreme, but like, yeah, it's really it's crazy how good his movies are. They're all good. Uh, They're yeah. All, it's I just feel privileged to watch them. And, um, and I'm, yeah. I, I'm so glad that I had no fucking, I was in complete blackout. Cause I, every new shot was just like, um, like a fucking adrenaline shot. It was really, really cool. So yeah, yeah I totally um, agree. I loved it. Anyway. Great. Cool. Gone for way too long. <laughs> yeah. Not too much, not too much else to say, but honestly, you don't get one of these very often and, uh, happy yeah. to, happy to really be clear about how much we loved it. I reckon if you watched, if you haven't watched it yet, fellas, ladies, people out there, I would say get this on the biggest screen you can. Fucking put your phone in a locked box underwater yep. and just enjoy it. And because I feel like <laughs> this is the movie that you need to sort of sit back and just not oh, be distracted yeah. by and really. You soak really it can't up. be on your phone for this shit. Yeah, heaps and of I other movies wa- you can be on your phone for. If you want to be on your this phone one. during this film, you have a broken brain, like. Use that to. Like, <laughs> well, no, I just use feel like that I would, to I would, wake yourself up. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, I would definitely fall into that temptation and then not even realize I'd fucked it for myself later. But like, I just yeah. enjoy stuff in the cinema so much because I'm, I'm my own worst enemy. That, that's yeah, anyway. Yeah, we, yeah. we could do a whole we could do a whole second episode on why why I'm I get you. I just think if way. any film is gonna be able to hold your attention, it probably could be this one. But you know, who knows? You'd hope so. Who knows? All right. Stay tuned until next week. We'll see you very soon. Thank you for listening, as always. We're doing French Dispatch, right? French Dispatch? We're doing French Dispatch? If if it's available uh, in some way, then yeah, we could do French Dispatch. It's it's one of the movies, if you get what I mean. (laughs) Great, cool. Yeah, next week we're doing French Dispatch. So stay tuned for that. Go out and acquire acquire a viewing of that however you wish to. Ask Uh, me where to watch French Dispatch. Hit me up on my socials. (laughs) Ask me where to watch. You can email us beefstationpod at gmail.com and we will email you and tell you where to watch French Dispatch. You can join our Facebook discussion group uh, where plenty of discussion is going on. Uh, Links are in the description of this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. 